I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what the prospect of a genuine sing-along pod does for our listeners' figures. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comments behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. We'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before I promise we will not sing our way through our spoiler-filled discussion of... sing a note. (laughs) Now, what do I call this? Joss Whedon's 2008 web series, I guess? Web series, yeah. Web series, sing-along blog. Um, Doctor Horrible sing-along blog. Um, But before any of that, Seb, James, I know comics. At this point, (laughs) there's probably nothing you can tell me that I don't know. But I'm going to give you a chance. Tell me something I don't know about Joss Whedon and comics. I can tell you that we, uh, James and I, recorded uh, what was going to be a Patreon bonus episode <laughs> talking about Joss Whedon's comics. Uh, and we never got around to, to editing and releasing it. And then um, nobody really wanted to talk about Joss Whedon for a little while after yeah. all the stories about him. And we didn't really think the timing was best to release it. So we never did. Uh, if, if if anyone's listening and, and wants us, to, uh, who is a Patreon backer and wants to let us know on Twitter that they want to hear it, then we could put it out on Patreon. But I, w- I would have to edit it and I don't know if I've still got the files. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure I have. <laughs> but if, I have, if I've still got it, uh, we could do that. Uh, but yeah, James, James I mean, and I did yeah. discuss his his history in comics and the stuff yeah, that he I mean, wrote. The thing, the thing to take from that discussion is that when he was working for Dark Horse... Not Bad Horse, Dark Horse. No, yeah. <laughs> I think it was, was it just before? He did this thing for Dark Horse Presents, which later got collected as its own collection, which was called Sugar Shock. And it was about an intergalactic rock band. We may have mentioned it on the podcast before. I feel like we have, but it might have also been on that episode that yeah. never got released. But so. it's, it's like a single issue. And it's drawn by Fabio Moon, who's one of the greatest artists in comics fabio moon from um uh casanova and day tripper mm. mm-hmm. yeah so um you know something you might not know about joss whedon is him and fabio moon came up with this really good original property that existed for one issue and then disappeared <laughs> <One>. <laughs> forever. and why yeah. did it disappear forever if it's so good probably because they were both too busy because like they, these are both big names we're talking about here like eisner winner slash guy who directed avengers you can understand how this little project might slip through the cracks. But it was <laughs> it's really good fun, and it's really funny. 
um, and I would urge anyone to go have a look. So aside from Sugar Shock, um, what what are the? <laughs> obviously, I know about his astonishing X Men stuff. I think I've read a bit of it. Um, has he done anything else notable? Did, would would you welcome he, him coming back to comics at this point? The the two main things he did at Marvel were Astonishing X Men and some of Runaways. He took over from Brian K Vaughan on Runaways, um, which was fine. Um, I think we James and I have talked before that neither of us especially love Runaways, but it's pretty good. And and like Whedon and Vaughan are two very uh what's the word uh <laughs> idiosyncratic right, well i was just gonna say like writers that you can imagine following on from each other quite easily in in one yeah. direction or another uh because brian k vaughan loves joss whedon's i'm going to kill this character that you love trick even more than joss whedon loves it like brian <laughs> k vaughan has done it in everything he's ever done um so Whedon following Vaughn on, on Runaways was not a massive surprise, um, but I mean, I, I, it, it's his astonishing X Men that's uh, I think the the most notable thing he's done in comics, if not the most interesting, because yeah, Sugar Shock is is a lot more fun. Okay, uh, we'll move on now to the comic book movie and TV news. Um, later in this discussion, James is going to get a chance to say "I told you so," and then he's also going to have a chance to say, "Oh, I didn't tell you this." But before that, we're going to talk about the Batman. Um, just the, inc- Batman. the Batman. Uh, Batman? The Batman. The Batman. The Batman. Okay. The the one and only uh, Justin Kroll, who is a reporter of Variety. We, we, we've mentioned him a few times. He tends to be pretty hot on this stuff. Uh, tweeted out this week. Take this with a grain of salt, as things are constantly changing in the TCEU. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm hearing the Penguin is possibly the choice to play the main villain in The Batman. Sources add, even if Reeves decides to go another route, the studio could make him the main villain in Birds of Prey. Reeves is still working on the script, so that could always change. But of the multiple Birds of Prey scripts submitted, one does have the Penguin as the main heavy. Either way, it seems Warner Warner Brothers wants this character cast in the universe sooner rather than later. I mean, my feeling is... Rather in a Birds of Prey film than watching the Penguin fight Batman again. Because that, that Burton version of the Penguin is so good. I you know what though, James? You talk, you talk to the kids. You talk to the kids right now. I bet you say, who, you say to them, who's the Penguin? And they say, Robin Lord Taylor, is it? Rather than Danny DeVito. No, they I say, bet- what the fuck are you talking about, old man? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's kids watching Gotham. Um, I think I don't know. Gotham's, you know, Gotham for for all of its somewhere watching of it, Gotham for all of how it doesn't appeal to us. It's had some popularity, and certainly while I was watching that show, it is Robin Lord Taylor. He was one I, of he was one of the main. Attractions I'm, I'm not denying it. it's had some popularity. I'm just saying I don't think kids watch it. <laughs> I think I think everybody who watches Gotham is probably over twenty five. I think, um, yeah, I, I think there's there's potential in the Penguin. There's there's potential to do one of the other takes on the Penguin that are out there. I think the main one and the one the position that he's been in in comics for quite a little while is him more as a kind of uh, a gang leader, you know, as mm. a kingpin type figure. Which is what which is what Gotham's done. It started him off as weird and bottom of the chain, but I, I as far as I know, kind of watched him climb the ladder of the criminal underworld and become that boss. No, no one's going to do the Danny DeVito version again, are they? <laughs> well, it's like Wilson Fisk where, you know, Oswald Cobblepot is is kind of 
purportedly a legitimate businessman and the penguin is a villainous crime lord um and i think i think actually you mentioned it with kind of birds of prey i think that's a kind of more so than a uh, a batman type setup i think i feel like while while it has been the case in comics um with the penguin i think batman it batman has failed if there is one successful crime lord in Gotham City um because then if if there's a crime lord that means batman hasn't taken that crime lord down <laughs> um so i think i think you struggle to to convince with batman if if he's you know he he's losing if there's a penguin type figurehead at the top and i think that's why traditionally while you get the kind of the ins and outs of like the falcones and stuff you know there is never that point where a major mob boss has successfully taken hold in Gotham because if that happens, that means Batman has lost. I mean, um, two two counterpoints to that, Seb. One, it could be this could be a younger a younger Batman. It might not be Affleck. Yeah. Um, two, <laughs> it might, two it might not be Affleck. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess There's you still could. A chance. <laughs> I guess you could make the argument that in this world, Batman with his Justice Leagueing has taken his eye off Gotham. Yeah, but I but I think I mean what what I was going to go on to say is I, I think potentially for a Birds of Prey type setup, uh, if you're doing a story set in Gotham uh, or or its environs that that doesn't have Batman involved for some reason, say Batman's not around, or or even if it's a post Batman, which is kind of what I think the Birds of Prey TV show Batman was Batman kind of retired at that that was kind of set in the sort of future, wasn't it? Was it I've like, never I watched that show. Like, well, no one knew yeah, where he was. Point point is, he wasn't around. And I think yeah. a situation where you've got other people having to protect Gotham, and then, yeah, having a back- an established background figure of a crime lord in Gotham. And if you're going to have that, it might as well be the Penguin. He, he fits the... Oh, God, I was going to say he fits the bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You caught us a bit uh, flat-footed with that one, Seb. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Birds of Prey movie... It sounds like Warner Brothers are keen and they're fast tracking it. I've heard that they're, I've heard rumors that the Huntress might be a, a part of it as well. Um, but this is part of the DCEU and Batman isn't missing if you're doing it in the present day. And with Harley Quinn's involvement, does that make them less than just defenders of Gotham? Is that, is there a different twist on Birds of Prey than just? Than what you just don't, said. Don't don't have them in Gotham, uh, or have them based out of Gotham, but covering elsewhere. Or I think actually, no. What you do is, and this is kind of what Huntress is all about, is you tackle the stuff that's kind of too dirty for Batman. Um, you know, Hunt- Huntress is very much uh, she will happily shoot people with a crossbow, um, and it's <laughs> you know I think I th- again I think it's something that there's, there's mileage in is the stuff that Batman. Because Batman can't do everything, the stuff that he doesn't pay attention to either because it's beneath him, or you know it's too sort of ingrained in the the messy fabric of Gotham kind of thing. Um, I'm I'm probably giving this more thought than like the DCU probably will, but no, they've they've already <laughs> submitted multiple scripts as we hear. So yeah, you know I'm I'm just trying to imagine a film that has the Huntress in and tries to address who she is. <laughs> No, you can you can you can do her quite easily without her having to have any actual connection to <laughs> an alternate Earth version of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> well, they did her in uh, they did her in the first season of Arrow. Um, oh, did they? Yeah, and she just she just kind of turned up and 
was kind of like very femme fatale. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's the DCEU stuff this week. Well, sounds like we should expect to see the penguin in any movie that DC decides to introduce the character in. Um, if they just produced all of the scripts. I was going to say, I'm looking forward to seeing how many scripts they mash together into one movie. Because I can fully imagine them going, we'll have the penguin from that one and we'll have the group dynamic from that one and here's your movie. Oh, wait, it doesn't make sense. Does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Right, okay, um, let's move on. We talked about this being a possibility on a past podcast. Um, it has been confirmed Jamie Foxx will star as Spawn in a new... Jamie Foxx. Yes, exactly, Foxx. Uh, we'll star with Spawn in um, a movie directed by Todd McFarlane, uh, produced by Bloomhouse, uh, due out next year. Jamie Foxx has Spawn, you guys. I, 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 I don't know anything about Spawn. Like I said before, the, the Bloomhouse involvement in all of this makes me go, you know what? Maybe there's a chance. And they've got a good, they've got a good lead actor. years old, though. I was going to say, for me, interesting. Spawn, like, <laughs> Spawn for me has to be young and huge. And like, if someone said Mike Coulter's going to be Spawn, I'd have gone, yeah. Jamie Foxx? Yeah. He doesn't sure look 50, fine. though. I can't really see it. He's a Hollywood actor. He doesn't look 50. He can pass for like late 30s, I would imagine. Yeah, but I, yeah, I still think it's still. Yeah, it feels like he's it at the high someone... end of the range you'd want to play Spawn. Is because isn't it more someone kind of cut down in their prime, sort of? Yeah, yeah, and like um, new, you know, he's supposed to be a new father or a new father, like you know, recently married guy, hmm. young family. I stuff. would have said not, um, not Michael twenty B. Jordan, years down the line. Michael B. Jordan <laughs> also would have been a good choice. Well, do you think that 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 origin, that version of Spawn, is what Todd McFarlane wants to do, or do you think he has an idea of an, I mean, an, I think, an older Spawn? That, if that's, that version of if Spawn, that's who he's cast. Version of Storm, Spawn, yeah, like that's. If well, you no, take, but I if mean, you, if, if you strip that away, you, you haven't got much of a story. But could that could that not be the story that that's the that is the backstory? But actually, what we're doing is picking up with that character 10, 15, 20 years in the future. And Todd McFarlane has has a new take that he wants to do on the big screen I mean, because he's possibly. he's directing this. It's his character. He's gone with casting an older actor. So either he's just well, going to you're giving say, Todd McFarlane a lot of credit. No, I'm saying well, there's one of you... two things he's doing. He's saying either suspend your disbelief. This is the same old spawn setup as it always was, or he's got something else in mind. Well, can I uh, quote something at you that's actually from today? This is a report on uh, IGN, all of the interviews apparently with comicbook.com. Breaking um, news. Do, 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 yeah. do, do, do. Uh, McFarlane himself has said that the film will be a creep movie and will feature the character as more of a monster that lurks in the shadows than a traditional superhero. Uh, McFarlane says he's looking to get movie-going audiences out of superhero mode, and in order to do so, the focus will be taken off Spawn and will be instead placed on private investigator Twitch Williams. So it looks like Twitch and possibly Sam, because Sam and Twitch are are the two (laughs) characters, um, are potentially going to be... that it might be based more around them. So it's almost more interesting to see who could be cast as those. Um, so they are basically so Sam and Twitch. They're basically a sort of a big brawnish guy, which is Sam, and and Twitch is kind of the nerdy brainy one. Um, whether I mean, he just does one character or does both of them. But Brian Bendis wrote um, from <laughs> Sam and Twitch, didn't yeah, he? That until was until he fell of... out with Todd McFarlane. <laughs> Showing all the business acumen that Todd McFarlane has to kick off the gonna... biggest writer in comics off his books. 
I'm, just, I'm surprised you told me that someone fell out with Todd McFarlane. That that never I happens. Know, quite. <laughs> in fact, I mean, interesting. I'm just looking now. Apparently, this is presumably no longer happening. But in early 2017, Kevin Smith was supposed to be doing a Salmon Twitch TV series for BBC America. <laughs> right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Smith I'm looking, is one of the few people who hasn't fallen out with Todd McFarlane. I'm looking at pictures of them. I think if you're making this movie ten years ago or five years ago, maybe you're casting Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, aren't you? <laughs> I could definitely see that. I mean, I'm, the problem I have with that kind of take is what he's essentially suggesting here is doing a Batman movie entirely from the perspective of Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's, you know, that's a take. But also, if you put a Batman movie in the cinemas, people want to see Batman. They don't want to see, like, Batman, you know, running in the back of the frame somewhere. I don't know. Again, though, like, we're, we're, we're a culture that is absolutely flooded with superhero left, right, and center. We, a different take, a, an idea of how do we take this concept and flip it on its head slightly. I, I'm, I'm up for that. I, I, to the cops hunting down the superhero. <laughs> I mean, as much as I like the sound of what you're saying, it it will be such an odd way to do it because Spawn is one of the few sort of independent superhero characters who could carry a mark. Like you see them trying to make, you know, spin Valiant like shit into gold. Hmm. Spawn is one of the few characters who could legitimately have a sort of Marvel DC profile on his own. As it, yeah, people have still heard of it. Like the majority of people will not have looked at anything Spawn related for over twenty years, but it is a name that if you say, uh, some people will know more so than uh, pretty certainly, much anything else outside yeah, of Marvel. And certainly DC. within nerd culture, if you say Spawn, they go okay, Spawn. Whereas if yeah. you say Bloodshot, they go, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I I like the the Bloomhouse involvement in this suggests to me that that what they want to do is something more horror inflected and yeah a a kind of morally ambiguous superhero operating from the shadows and focusing on the people who are trying to track him down (laughs) that 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 seems to fit i'm i worry that you're describing the venom movie <laughs> well, no, because we know that Tom Hardy is very much the protagonist in that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, J- Jamie Fox confirmed the spawn, but it sounds like uh, what we really need to know is who's playing Sam and Twitch. I don't think they'll do Sam and Twitch. I think they'll make it one character, and I think the sensible thing to do will be to make it a woman and have a, and have a female private investigator who who runs across. Uh, spawn. Okay, in that case I'm saying Kerry Russell and we can move on from there. Okay, James this is your chance to, well which which do you want to be? Do you want to be right first or do you want to be wrong first? I'll be wrong first. Okay, so Legion has been renewed for season three. <laughs> <laughs> so you were you were worried about this James. I don't think has, has anyone you been watching <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, James was predicting that Legion wasn't getting a third series because it had been given an extra episode for season two. That wasn't the case. Um, It's coming back. Um, I guess, Seb, this means no more Fargo for for even longer than we were expecting it to be away, which which you'll be disappointed about. But um, is is anyone here watching Legion right now? Because I was about to ask this question. Are either of you guys still watching Legion? Because you were big fans of it at the time when I was going... No, no thanks. So I'm interested yeah, to hear what you I haven't about. got round to watching season two. 
Um, no, I haven't, so but for, <laughs> for, spe- for specific reasons. Busy moving house, and also, after watching season one, and kind of pausing in the middle, and coming back to it, and having to start again from the beginning to be on, to be literally anywhere on the same page of it, I wanted to wait until the season had finished, and then go through it in, in one big chunk, so that's what I plan to do, is like, at some point, watch the whole season in the course of a week. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what, it does, it seems like the conversation around it definitely died down. It it seems like people still like it, that it still ha- has success, but I don't think people are talking about Legion season two the way the way they were about season one or even any season of Fargo. Is that fair from what from what you can tell from kind the of online o- the chatter? The only thing I saw about Legion season two was everyone going episode one was apparently more confusing than every previous episode of Legion so far, and then <laughs> no one talked about it after that. So yeah, Legion's coming back for season three, and I think I can tell you whether I'm going to be excited about that once I've watched this season of Legion, which is, um, yeah, let's let's talk about it in a month or two. But James, <laughs> you are wrong. Now, James, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> Silver and Black has lost its release date. Um, it's very careless. We, so uh, Silver and Black the last we heard had a February 2019 release date, but we all knew that that wasn't going to be met (laughs) after there was talks of delays and pushing back shooting. And the fact that, you know, it's June 2018, the movie wasn't going to be coming out in February 2019. Um, Sony, though, you know, announced their current upcoming slate. And rather than Silver and Black having a new release date, say February 2020, it just doesn't have one. Which means it's essentially dead. Yeah, I think so. I, I think outside of Venom being a like a sizable hit, which says to Sony, yeah, we should actually push ahead with every Spider-Man spin-off we've got. I don't think any of us think that's going to happen. So it doesn't look good for Silver and Black. No, I mean, it never looked good for Silver and Black in the first place because that there's no concept there. Like Silver and Black as a name means nothing like that that to me sounded like a placeholder from the from day one it's it was one of those that sony were talking about though back from when they went nuts at the back end of the amazing spider-man <laughs> um <laughs> roller coaster they were talking about do you remember young aunt may as like a spy in the 50s or something was it <laughs> um there was a silver there was a silver sable movie then um there was going to be um I can't remember. Drew Goldard was working on something. Obviously, there was a Sinister Six movie being planned, but there was all these crazy ideas being th- thrown out there. And that was the only reason I knew about Silver Sable as a character, let alone any anything else, was that when those when those conversations were being had, and then when the Sony leak happened, um, it was clear that Silver Sable was a character that they were looking at. So they clearly think that character has potential. They clearly think... Black Cat has potential because they put her in Amazing Spider-Man 2. But to be honest, I think it would be wise for Sony to slow the hell down on anything Spider-Man related until after Venom. Because if they haven't managed to sell the Venom concept, Venom is the most Spider-Man related character they can do because he looks a bit like Spider-Man. So, (laughs) um, like, if they can sell a universe where characters exist with some kind of connection to Spider-Man 
without necessarily being a part of the MCU. And that's a tough, that's a tough sell for audiences. Like, oh, we're connected to that thing, but not really. It, that's a, that's a, that's thing that doesn't appear in it and can't be mentioned. Hmm. I mean, the, the, the way to do it, I would imagine, would be to try and, James is going to love this, sell it as some kind of multiverse thing where <laughs> here is, here is a different version of Peter Parker who exists in this world. He's still played by Tom Holland, but it's not actually the same world, which is why we can have all of these other things going on and them not affect the MCU. But that's such a huge, difficult ask whilst also just trying to tell a story about your title character in that film. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem feasible. And I remember at the time as well, when we were first talking about this, when, when Sony, uh, decided to, you know, share the rights to Spider-Man with Marvel and make the Spider-Man movies in collaboration with Marvel, it sounded like they had done a deal where Marvel would help produce Spider-Man Homecoming. In return, Spider-Man would show up in Civil War and we'd see what happened after that. But now we've got Spider-Man Homecoming 2 carrying on. Um, and we've got Spider-Man showing up in all of the Avengers movies still happening. Um, it doesn't seem like that relationship is going to end. It doesn't seem like at some point Tom Holland's Spider-Man is just going to go back to Sony and not be a part of the MCU anymore. It seems like that, that has all been worked out, which makes it so much more difficult. Cause if you say, if you just withdraw, Spider-Man from the MCU related stuff and keep using him in your own universe. Maybe you can tie it into all of these other concepts, but anything not introduced in a spy in a main Spider-Man movie now, you would struggle to see how how they can do a spin-off of it. I mean, successfully just, anyway. Well, like specifically as well, the characters they keep talking about are characters who were created or prominently used as as foils for spider-man so like in theory there's a black cat story to do but all of the existing work on the character is for her as a foil for spider-man and i think realistically that's the version people want to see because it's not like she's prominently had her own series even i mean the the fear is with anything like that is you get the Halle Berry Catwoman movie. Well, exactly, yeah. And obviously that 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 movie wasn't a failure purely because you removed Batman from the equation. <laughs> but it's it's part of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, I mean, we'll we'll have to see what happens with Venom. We keep, even though there, are, there have been trailers for that, we keep, we we were talking about last week. We were going through our upcoming schedule, weren't we? And we we're saying. We've got that movie then, we've got that movie then, and that superhero movie coming out. And we, we like almost forgot the Venom was happening. <laughs> and I think a lot of audiences are going to forget it's happening as well. Because I mean, as much as people like Tom Hardy, there aren't many genuine movie stars. There aren't many people who people just turn up for the name above the title. Are there any even these well, days? I mean, not a huge number. Maybe very, Tom Cruise, maybe. Very few, but even, you know, even, even Cruz has his flops. Neither Jennifer Lawrence has her flops. You know, there are the biggest stars can probably open a movie to a number, but that number is maybe not a hundred million. It's 30, 40, 50 million. Yeah. Um, do you think, do you think they cast Tom Hardy because he has the same initials and first name as Tom Holland? <laughs> <laughs> they went, Oh, this might confuse enough people. 
If that was the case, they should have just cast various Tom Hollands in various Tom, Spider-Man Tom Holland. spin-offs. Tom yes. Holland as Venom. <laughs> or the other Tom Holland. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would have been great. Um, but yeah, do you, Seb, do you agree? Do you think this is the end of Silver and Black as a realistic? The only reason that I wouldn't say that this is the end of it as a realistic possibility is that I don't believe it ever started as a realistic possibility. <laughs> so I think the end of it as a realistic possibility was when they first said, we're making a, a Silver Sable and Black Cat movie. And we all went, ah, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> it is, it's such an odd pair of characters to mash together. Like it would be like someone going, "Oh yeah, we're we're in, we're not making another Batman movie. We're going to make a like." I'm trying to think of two characters that obscure. A Harvey Bullock and <laughs> Jim Gordon, Firefly, Go- Gotham on Fox, <laughs> nine eight central. Um, I mean, you know, I I would absolutely love to see uh, Black Cat in a Spider-Man movie universe. I think For it's sure. mental 100%. that we've had because we've never seen because we've Spider-Man never seen movies. it. We've never yeah, seen yeah. We've it. had six Spider-Man movies and we've never had the Black Cat, and that's well, crazy. and she's like a really but... excellent character. She's, yeah, it's just she's not an excellent character as a protagonist. Exactly, she's a supporting it... character. Yeah, she's a, she's a great foil for Spider Man and and should be introduced that way. Even if then, you know, she is she's shown in the past in stuff that you can spin her into her own material, and it can be really good. But as with so many other Spider Man related characters, such as Venom, I think you need that foothold in Spider Man ness first. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to see it, but that was not the way to do it, and I don't think it will be the way that it gets done. Uh, just before any listeners tweet at us, we're aware that Felicity Jones was in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but Black Cat was not in that movie. She was, um, she was not named as Felicia Hardy in that movie. Was she, she named not? Felicia. No, was I think she? they called her Felicia, but she's, she's, she wasn't yeah. officially Felicia Hardy in yeah. that movie. And, and, oh. and Black Cat I'd have to watch it again it. to check, and that's not happening. <laughs> that's yeah, never, we're never going to happen. Again. Yeah. Um, I just love that we can just, like... We just, I, I think I was talking to somebody about this the other day that like those films don't even make me angry anymore because they just uh, I don't have to acknowledge that they exist they just <laughs> you know there is no they are not the current Spider-Man there is no reason to worry about them or be angry about them they're, they're not, a thing that didn't even not really the, happen they're not the current Spider-Man they're not the past Spider-Man of note they are just lost in yeah. the ether uh, that's all of the comic book movie and TV news. Um, have we, are we, there is a trailer for Doctor Horrible, isn't there, Seb? There was a trailer. So I'm sure we could dig out that old trailer and play that now. And what we'll take a couple of minutes while that's playing to go and clear our throats, do some gargling and get ready for the rest of the sing along pod. <laughs> have a, I'll, have a, I'll have a vocal zone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. It's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay f- Do you like The Office? And do you like hearing me, Cinematic Universe's Seb Patrick, on podcasts? If so, then you might just like Mifflinfinity. Bears. Beats. Battlestar Galactica. Mifflinfinity is a roughly fortnightly podcast in which I look at every episode of NBC's modern classic US sitcom The Office in chronological order, discussing the episode, playing in clips of some of the best bits, and just generally talking about how each one stacks up in the wider context of the series as a whole. Sometimes I'll start a sentence... And I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. Whether you already know your agent Michael Scarn from your Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, or if you're watching along with the show for the first time, hopefully you'll find our convenient half-hour chunks an enjoyable listen. I'm not superstitious, but I'm I am a little stitious. 
Find the show on iTunes and other podcast directories at mifflinfinity.podbean.com or on Twitter at mifflinpod. I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. Right, okay. Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Shall we start, guys, before we actually uh, talk about any of it, our reactions to it, any of that kind of stuff? I don't know if everyone will be aware of Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog or what it is, how it came about, why it exists. Um, so I think we should dig into that because it is it is 10 years old at this point. Um, it came out in September-ish, I think, uh, 2008. And it came about because of the Writers Guild strike um, that kind of crippled Hollywood back in 2008. Um, and if there is, if there are any movies that kind of came out summer 2008, uh, early 2009, that you, you're just like, why is that movie not as good as it should have been? <laughs> the, the, the writer's strike is probably the reason why. My, my favorite example. TV shows having truncated oh, seasons. Yes, um, or, or big season... gaps in the middle of seasons. Well, see, season four of The Office was shorter and it's the only season that doesn't have a christmas episode ironically it is actually one of the strongest seasons and i think maybe the flat out funniest episode of the office is from the season that was truncated by the writer's strike (laughs) which was the uh the dinner party one yeah i love the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i love seb how we both are thinking about this through the context of the show that we love most at that time because mine is lost lost season (laughs) three eds six episodes disappeared for a while and it was during that time that people were very worried about what where lost was like are they just treading water are they just gonna like it they don't know when they're gonna end so they they're just doing nothing now they're just gonna they're just gonna dig their heels in and um it was what forced lost to or damon lindelof and carlton cues to go to um abc and say you need to give us an end date you need to give us a number of episodes that we need to fulfill because viewers are going to stop going to stop watching um and yeah in in terms of movies the movie that i always think about from the writer's strike was uh quantum of solace which you've got casino royale which is my favorite bond movie and we're going right what's coming next apparently they're picking up the story it's going to be like <laughs> it's, it's going to be literally spinning straight out of casino royale um it's going to deal with the fallout from vesper lind i'm invested great and they just didn't have a script and they tried to rush one and get it written fast enough that they could still get into production and it wasn't ready and daniel craig talks about writing you know bits of bits of script on the set of quantum of solace and you watch quantum of solace it's the shortest bond movie ever and it's essentially like car chase bit of nonsense uh, bike chase <laughs> foot chase speedboat chase helicopter chase is there any more chases that we could do that we haven't got to yet what's the villain gonna yeah what's the villain gonna do oh i don't know we didn't write that bit of the script could he be raising people's utility bill prices brilliant (laughs) let's do that uh (laughs) it's not a good movie you guys and it it really really messes up the vespa lynn stuff which is so excellently done in casino royale but yeah Yeah, for me the movie that most devastatingly affected was x-men origins wolverine which they like they documented basically when they were about to shoot the film the writer's strike happened and they were like well we're not moving the shooting but we badly need to rewrite the script 
So they essentially like got got writers agencies and were like, if you've got any writers who aren't in the guild, send them our oh. way. Oh, and that's so the, not... <laughs> the rewrites that were done on X-Men Origins Wolverine were done by people who weren't in the WGA, basically, because they weren't good enough. <laughs> right. Lovely. But at least they did remember to write the um, scene where we found out how he got his jacket, so... Quite. <laughs> <laughs> which, if you want a whole film of those, go and see Solo. <laughs> um, which is... All of this is not us criticising the writer's strike, you know. It was happening for good reason. Um, oh, yeah, Definitely. Like, yeah, it's, the um, reason, it's probably the reason that streaming is actually worth watching these days, because people are actually getting rich off it. Or at least more than they were going to get. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, as, rich, as rich yeah. as writers ever get. Yeah, I, I, I was actually working for a TV writer's agency at the time of this. So, you know, I, I have seen examples of uh, writers being quite badly screwed out of what they should have. Actually, I've, I've seen royalty statements from movies that technically have not got any profits. And you look at those films and go, how has that film not technically got any net profits to, to give a percentage to the writer? It's, mm. it's appalling. And it's, this stuff still got, the thing about the strike was as well. I mean, they, they did get some concessions, but they didn't, win massively and that's what they were arguing for was completely justified but the writers are still getting a bit shafted on residuals <laughs> these days well and we we narrowly missed another strike didn't we uh, like a year or two ago and i think that there was there was eventually some compromise but i think anyone who remembered the 2008 strike was going god i really hope they get it sorted out because yeah. From purely selfish reasons as a viewer, um, it it messed up a, a lot of stuff, um, and I, and I don't know kind of the particulars behind Doctor Horrible, but what I do know is that Joss Whedon basically saw the writer strike and went, "Well, I understand that this means I can't continue writing TV shows." What I, I'm not sure what what whether he had a show at the time. Would it have been Dollhouse at the time? Yeah, would it have been around Dollhouse maybe? I think it was just before Dollhouse started, maybe. Yeah, but so he he basically went, but like I still want to be creative. I still want to be doing something, even if we are all on strike. Um, and so what he decided he wants wanted to do was to create something that was small and manageable, but that he could go off and make himself and wouldn't impact on any of the issues that were being protested about during the strike. And I think. So to the best of my knowledge, the fact that he did it all himself and the fact that he, it was, it was self-financed and that they weren't passing on any mo- money to studios. And the yeah, fact he, that he, he wasn't doing it for one of the people who were, they were striking yes. against. So, and it was yeah. going out and it was going to go out online for free as well. Uh, eventually they did find ways to monetize it later down the line, but it seems like it was all done from a pretty like, it was all done above board morally. Like when they did start making money for it, they used that money to pay back the cast and the crew who worked mm. for free the first time around. Yeah, I mean, I mean, has there ever been any contention over it? Because I'd never no, 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 thought of it as in any way like <laughs> breaking the strike or anything. It, it bears mentioning just to kind of reiterate that that they did this and there hasn't, there, you know, there wasn't any backlash. It was, it was. It was done without like crossing a picket line or anything like that, and so yeah, so it was it was essentially a three act 
musical that kind of ran to the length of about a long, a long episode. Well, no, but in fact, it's about, about a standard it's about episode of TV. Minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, the the same length as like a a, a network uh, drama would run for. Packed in a bunch of songs, and I think scratched a creative itch for Whedon. And you know, probably from like a self promotion point of view, uh, and for like, I mean, Joss Whedon has legions of fans, and certainly this was probably around his peak, coming off stuff like uh, Five Line Serenity with all of the the you know. Buffy Love still there as well. The the internet was here for a Joss Whedon supervillain musical dropping online whilst most of the other content wasn't on air. We weren't getting anything else original during this gap. So I mean this makes it all the stranger that I didn't watch it when it came out. Yeah, so let's so let's talk about that. Jay Seb, you and I have both watched Dr. Horrible Sing Along Blog, I imagine countless times and know the music and you know have lived with it for the better part of a decade james you had never watched it before until we asked you to for this podcast yeah i mean i'm not sure if this is why my memory is that maybe i think it was on hulu was it originally that's where it debuted yeah yeah and i think at the time the only way to watch it was to pirate it and I didn't. No, it was that. it was no, it was made it was made available free internationally, and then but for like oh, a, lim- for, a limited time. I was going to say it was, it was a very limited time. I think it was only like a week or two that it was yeah. actually online before it was. Then you had to buy it off iTunes. Yeah. So for whatever reason, I didn't watch it, and I I think also because it was a musical, I wasn't that bothered. Hmm. Um, I think I think I I think I probably pirated it when I first watched it, but I did. <laughs> I did like I ordered the Blu-ray from the US, which yeah, I, I think I think I pirated it in the window between it being available for free and yes, and being yeah. able to legitimately get it in the UK. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I, I feel I feel okay about it now that you know I have worn my Blu-ray disc, you know, down to. <laughs> Do you remember when you used to pause VHSs and it would actually wear them out? <laughs> <laughs> if that was the case for this, um, that would have happened as well. Um, but yeah, so James, what did what did you think of it watching it for the first time a decade on and knowing that <laughs> Seb and I were pretty much in the tank for it? I feel like I'm going to upset people. But, like, <laughs> I didn't hate it. I just it was just there. Like it was fine. It was okay. I I honestly I had no strong reaction to it. I I think I think if you're if you're experiencing it for the first time now because I think a lot of stuff has moved on since then. Uh and also if you don't connect with it musically. Um yeah. which you know, I mean we talked before Joe we talked about this when we were talking about doing it. You you like the Buffy musical, don't you? Yeah, but because and it's, it's Buffy, it's... but not because it's a musical. Because uh, you know, obviously, the, the songs are not dissimilar in places because they are still written by Joss Whedon. Yeah, uh, I think but, the songs are better here, personally. Yeah, I do. Apart from, a, I mean, there are a couple that I really love in in the Buffy one, but yeah, I, I enjoy them more here. I yeah, I think not no, notably because as well. I mean, Nathan Fillion's not being asked to show the vocal range that the other two are, but this is this is a cast who can sing, which yeah. is a, which um, is a good start. But yeah, I, so I think if you haven't got the thing of Oh wow, you know this is this is a quite interesting uh, 
bit of genre deconstruction, which I think in 2008, it was a more interesting bit of genre deconstruction than yeah, it is in 2018. I would agree with that. If you, so if you haven't got that aspect, and if you haven't got uh, liking the songs, which as I say, is the main, the main reason I would rewatch it is for liking the songs... Then yeah, yeah, I can I I I can I see also, that I there's mean, not a whole lot left to engage. I also with. have the extra hurdle in that. Okay, when this came out, right? Am I right in thinking it was pre How I Met Your Mother? Uh, Ooh, probably right, right sure around the same time, maybe. Yeah. So I th- and also I didn't like Firefly. So what? I think- do, you, do you still not like Firefly? Nah, I've just I I watched it once. Oh well, no, how yeah, how how. How I Met Your Mother started in 2005, so, yeah. so Neil Patrick Harris okay, was already so known for that. I but I didn't I watch it, so I didn't know him for that. At the time. <laughs> so basically, I, I came to this thinking, like, I don't really know Neil Patrick Harris. Starship Troopers? No, sorry, yeah, sorry. No, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't come to it thinking that. Um, people, people came to it not really knowing Neil Patrick Harris and <sighs> liking... Yeah. Um, uh, aside from Doogie Howser, what else did he do? Before? Right, so I mean, I can I can talk to you about the Neil Patrick Harris um, like career renaissance because obviously, yes, he is Doogie Howser, and then he, he kind of just becomes a background jobbing actor. And yes, Starship Troopers is the thing that he's known for in that era. How his How I Met Your Mother casting doesn't come about because of. Because of, you know, oh, here's this guy that was in Starship Troopers eight years ago. It comes about because of Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, which Neil Patrick Harris makes one of the, one of the most memorable cameos ever in, in 2004. Um, then gets, I, I mean, and if anyone hasn't seen that film, I recommend whether with additional substances or just on its own, you go and watch it because it is an, it is, a, a modern day masterpiece. I love Harold and Kumar. Um, and he reprised, you know, he did, he did his cameo in, in the two sequels as well, but that gets him cast in How I Met Your Mother. And then he's then, you know, what, two seasons into How I Met Your Mother at this point. He is known for his musical ability as well. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think it, it probably makes a lot of sense that, uh, that Joss Whedon comes knocking. For this, and obviously the other the other two, you've got Nathan Fillion, who he's worked with on Firefly and has a has a good relationship with, and I think Felicia Day makes uh, makes sense as from what I can tell, Just Whedon went to her and said, "Hey, so you you've had a lot of success with a web series, right?" And she's like one of the forerunners in that field, and she's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, I've had a lot of success with a web series." Well, he's like, "Also, she was in." Hmm. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. So he knew her from that, if nothing else. Yeah, and so and and so that's how this cast comes together. But yeah, there is. So that's a long way of saying there is a reason why Neil Patrick Harris is in this. And oh yeah. His, so, well, this his is, career this is his career point. was peaking here because this is also kind of like season two, three, four of How, you, how I Met Your Mother is the creative peak before it becomes <laughs> one of the most horrible TV shows. Yeah. So this is made. like anyone watching it in when when did we say it came out two thousand and eight? Anyone watching yeah. this in two thousand and eight is thinking, Oh, it's the guy I like from Firefly and Neil Patrick Harris, who is just, you know, getting back on our screens and I love him. And Felicia Day, who's in that really cool series. And I'm watching it going like Oh, it's that guy from How I Met Your Mother who I cannot stand. 
and <laughs> Nathan Fillion, who disappeared into doing like TV shows I didn't watch, and Felicia Day, whose career I've lost track of. How can anyone not like Neil Patrick Harris? I've, I've, I've got Have to you take watched How I there. Met Your Mother? No. That's <laughs> Maybe <how>. that's... Because the... <laughs> I have seen enough of it to not like him or anyone connected with it. When but what's you, you watched so much of it. So who you must have... <laughs> remind me who... Because um, it's quite late and I'm tired. Remind me who um, Maria Hill is played oh, by. Oh, uh, Kirby Smulders. Cannot stand her. The sight of her on screen upsets me. See, I, I, it, 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 it amazes me that there is a TV show that features Neil Patrick Harris, Kobe Smulders, Alison Hannigan, and Jason Siegel, and I have got no interest in because of everything I've heard about you it. I've got no interest, no interest in watching a, a single episode of it. But if you otherwise put those actors together, I should be all over it. How, how I Met Your Mother corner? Let me let me talk you through How I Met Your Mother. First season, really <laughs> the plot of the plot of the show. Yes, I'm going to talk you through the plot of the show. First season interesting some really like quirky humor hmm executive produced by phil lord and chris miller that's interesting uh and then and then kind of like yeah absolutely yeah uh series like two to four five i'm trying to remember exactly where the where the dip happens but like really good it's got one of the strongest casts on television um ted was always the worst but everyone else was always great and it and it got by on that, and there are individual moments from that from that stretch that are up there with some of the best moments on, of like comedy from that decade. Um, you you then go like series five, six, seven, and it's kind of bad. Occasionally, there'll be an episode that turns up and reminds you why you liked it in the first place. And then the final season of How I Met Your Mother, after they successfully introduced the mother, the one thing that you thought they would never be able to do, they introduce a mother who you're like, oh my god, she's perfect, she's amazing, this is great. And then the final season is an insult to anything good that came before, (laughs) down to the final two episodes, which not just invalidate the entire season that came before them, but invalidate any character development that happened over the previous seven seasons of the show. And imagine, well, what if we had written this ending at the end of season two? And then imagine that the characters stayed static after that, because they wrote and filmed the ending at the end of season two. Dumb. Bad show. But good things in it. <laughs> and and that, Neil Patrick Harris is see, good in it. <laughs> well, that's why when I see Neil Patrick Harris, I don't think, oh, he's a funny guy who I feel warm to. I think it's that catchphrase spouting monster who I cannot stand. <laughs> I still like Neil Patrick Harris. I, I, in spite of that, he wasn't I, I, He wasn't the problem with How I Met Your Mother. Um, he His musical episode of How I Met Your Mother, for what it's worth, the... Um, 2010 episode nothing suits me like a suit which was the show's 100th episode is a delight is it and, legend, and yet... wait for it dairy <laughs> it was wasn't it the time james is it wasn't it, was? it wasn't the time with of this trio felicity day is the one who i know the least so she's, kind of, she... she's the one i like the most because she was good in buffy she was good in dollhouse and her web series was fun I don't know but what, James, like I, say, I don't know what she's been doing after that. Does that not kind of play into Doctor Horrible sing on long blog a bit? Because <laughs> there are three, there are three characters in this. Two of them are monsters, and the other one is Penny. <laughs> yes, 
Fair. So, so in, in, in a way, in a way, should that not get you on board? Actually, this guy that you find really annoying is a supervillain. This other guy that you don't really like is playing a superhero. A jackass. Who's, who's actually, yeah, who's like the worst superhero. And then you've just got a well-intentioned nice girl. Yeah, but unfortunately, they get all the material and then she dies, so... <laughs> well, spoilers spoilers for Dr. Horrible. I guess that's part and parcel of this podcast. Um, yeah, we so, should probably actually talk about Dr. Horrible, shouldn't we? Yeah. We, we, we've been online for nearly an hour and a half. And we haven't, uh... <laughs> Before we get right, right into the start of it, though, Seb, you, you talked about... Because uh, I just think we should talk about... James has spoken about him reacting to it for the first time here. We probably watched it around a similar time, which would have been around when it came out shortly afterwards. And we've both talked about, you know, then subsequently finding it in, through legitimate means. Um, you talked about the songs and like coming back to it for the songs. And I find that for, for musicals a lot. There will be a movie that I like, that I like the first time around, but I like, I, I then, realize that when i come back to watch it again in a year's time and i have listened to the soundtrack on spotify or whatever for the during the intervening year suddenly i love it a whole lot more because here are these songs that i'm now more in the bag for than i was the first time around and also the movie's still really good i mean pop star never stop never stopping is the best example of that from the past year or the greatest showman as well like two films that i've rewatched and Really liked them the first time, but loved them the second time. And Doctor Horrible is so short that I can, I can, you know, I can blaster it in forty minutes, and I've heard all those songs again. But actually, in context, rather than just through my speakers in my car, you know, is that yeah. the, is that the same for you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I, just, I, I think, I think you can get most of what's enjoyable out of this just by listening to the soundtrack. But um, you know, yeah, it is, it is quite nice to go and to go and watch it back again. Um, and yeah, I get what you mean about that with movies because it's definitely been, yeah, like musical movies where, um, listening to the songs over and over again and then going back to the film has led to the film being a different experience the second time. I think a good example of that is Shock Treatment, which I think is a really underrated film. And I think as a film has flaws, um, that are, that are clear, but I also think it's a really interesting film and a really interesting premise. And I really like the songs. I think the songs in Shock Treatment are better than the songs in Rocky Horror. If you didn't know, Shock Treatment is the sort of sequel to Rocky Horror um, that that flopped miserably. <laughs> I was going to say um, that's very much a minority opinion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I I I I defended it in in a recent issue of Empire as well. Um, <laughs> that that um, you know, there, there are people out there who like Shock Treatment, but they're not as many as as like Rocky Horror. <laughs> Uh, but but when I went back to it a second time, I, I did find that I enjoyed it a lot more because I had been listening to the songs, which I really liked. So I really enjoyed watching the performances. This again. is a bit like preferring Love Never Dies to Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because the thing is, Shock Treatment, I mean, I won't go into it, but Shock Treatment doesn't have all of the bullshit associated with it that Rocky Horror does. Like, I, I get put off Rocky Horror because of everything surrounding it. And I think Rocky Horror, you only really like Rocky Horror if you discover it when you're like 15. Uh, no, no. Nobody discovers Rocky Horror as an adult and decides that they like it. Rocky Horror is a great movie to get drunk and discover is on film four at 11.40 at night and just sit there until two in the morning watching it. That's my experience with Rocky Horror. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm someone who has, has participated in a, a youth theatre's thing of putting on the film 
and oh, like wow. acting out the film in front of a showing of it. So I was I was big into Rocky Horror in my teens, but yeah, I think Shock Treatment's more interesting. Who, than it's got Seb. Who did you play? Riff Raff. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the when when we uh, got photographed for the local paper beforehand. I was dressed as Eddie, but when it came to do it on the night, I was Riff Raff. <laughs> And we should talk, James, you were saying before, the musicals you like are what? That Buffy episode, Hamilton, (laughs) and nothing else? I mean, I don't even like the Daria musical episode. And I love Daria. <laughs> I bet I bet you'd enjoy Matilda if you saw Matilda. I, oh, Matilda's great. I should go and see Matilda just because Tim Minchin's a genius, but also yeah. so much money. And I haven't seen Groundhog Day, but the song's from Groundhog Day. I mean, you haven't seen before. Hamilton either, have you? No, because I'm not rich. I'm not oh. rich, but I went to see Hamilton and I'm going but again. But you live, you live near to London. That is true. Yeah. Okay, so, Doctor Horrible, let's, yeah, let's actually talk about it. Um... I'll be honest, every time I watch it, I kind of feel like the first five minutes is my fear of what something called Dr. Horrible Sing-Along Blog would be. <laughs> you know, b- before the song before the song starts and it is just, oh, it, it, this literally is just Sweden's just got an actor, put him in a costume and set him up in front of a, like a, sat him at a desk as if he is doing a, a, vid- a video blog. I'm not going to lie, when I was watching that bit, I was like, what have you made me watch? Is it is I... it 45 minutes of this? I think some of my favourite bits of the whole thing are the him doing the blogs to camera bit. I think... Particularly I think... a bit that comes later on that's a very nice smash cut gag. Yes, I, I mean... But I think he's what really saying... good in those bits as well. When you first watch it, though... It yeah. is. When you first it is... watch it, you think, is it just going to be Neil Patrick Harris singing into a camera for 45 minutes? <laughs> Yeah, and so we and so we meet. I, I think this is is crucial. We meet Doctor Horrible. We don't meet his alter ego. Our way into this is Doctor Horrible because there is there is a, a discussion in in this about you know kind of who is the guy on the surface, who's the real guy, and there's one point at which Doctor Horrible implies, yeah, but what if the what if the layer the layer below the secret layer is actually the layer on top and the guy who you think you're talking to is the guy you're talking to. Which is which is this guy which is essentially this nice guy, uh in inverted commas, saying What if I'm not just pretending to be a nice guy. I'm a nice guy pretending to be a bad guy pretend who's actually a nice guy. And here's the thing, you, you, that that's not possible, is it? A nice guy doesn't pretend to be a bad guy. So he can't he can't he can't be a bad guy underneath. But we meet but what which is a long way of saying we meet Dr. Horrible first. And this is this is the protagonist. The protagonist of this story isn't Billy. The protagonist of this story is Dr. Horrible and he is doing a video blog. And uh, giving us basically a potted introduction to who he is, what this kind of world he exists in. It's a very comic booky setup. Like it feels like the first the first issue of a comic where, like you know, like an image comic that is introducing you to a new world that has superheroes and stuff, but yeah. they're not the superheroes <laughs> you know. I, I got a kind of invincibly vibe off this because I was like, it's you know, it's original superheroes, but they're in a sort of arch fashion. Yeah. Yeah. 
There is a, well, when we get to recommendations, which is a tricky one for this episode. <laughs> uh, but yes, some, something not invincible, but along not dissimilar lines of building a uh, <laughs> fictional, well, you know, a, a non-big two superhero world in a very arch way. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I think I know what it is, but we'll wait. We'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I think also this this opening sequence is it talks about Joss Whedon being very like having this very this vociferous online fan base, and apparently when this was being made, there was there was like a fan site before there was a site because hmm. someone had let slip they were working on this before it was intended to be out there, and within seconds, Joss Whedon fans had set up. A Doctor Horrible fan site <laughs> to the point when the first trailer debuted, they just gave it to the fan site because that's where it would make sense to be launched because all of the people had already gathered there. And I think that it seems like there's maybe something a little bit personal about this for, for Joss Whedon, you know, like this a guy kind of like going through his career and kind of like putting it all out there and constantly hearing the feedback to what he's doing and i and i imagine the actual the blog aspect which the blog aspect is a it's a plot it's a mechanic it doesn't actually feature that much into it apart from one mm. i don't know whether that's the site gag you're talking about um seb but there's like there's there's a gag in the middle um about like oh yeah the, the blog is an actual thing that exists yeah. in in this world but mostly it it's just it. yeah yeah <laughs> it's just it's just a way for dr horrible to kind of talk directly to the audience and it's the cheapest possible way you can make something, which, bearing in mind, the budget constraints of this. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Made for $200,000 in six days, and that is just a guy's apartment that they're filming in. <laughs> like, that's, that's just some guy whose apartment they, they were able to borrow to film in. Yeah. There's there's one point where Neil Patrick Harris is sitting in a giant chair, and apparently that's just a piece, <laughs> of, that's just a piece of furniture that was there in that guy's apartment, and they were like, oh, we should use this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we, so we kind of, we get introduced to Doctor Horrible and then the first song, uh, which is My Freeze Ray, that's the point at which we are introduced to kind of what motivates Doctor Horrible. Laundry day, see you there, under things, tumbling, wanna say... Love your hair, here I go, mumbling With my freeze ray I will stop the world I think the, I think obviously what, what this then does is kind of sets up the, the premise that, you know, he's interested in this girl he knows who he can't talk to. And I think that definitely at this point um, we're being invited to feel sympathetic towards him. And it kicks off the main thing that that this is doing which is this isn't really about superheroes and supervillains um this whole thing the whole of dr horrible is about toxic masculinity yes. in different forms and the effect that that has on things and on in things, dr horrible's on case, women specifically on, right? on women and on the world generally but mm. yes on on women um and you know you can see i i i think it's entirely possible for somebody to watch Doctor Horrible and oh, yes, completely yeah. sympathise with Doctor Horrible throughout the entire thing and, and not realise 
how badly in the wrong he is and it's not well even. i think i think i i think i probably did you know the first time i watched Possibly, it i think yeah. i probably did because um, it's neil it's neil patrick harris who's delivering a a, a really great performance, I think. He's a, you know, he's a likable dude. It's canny casting because his most well-known character at this time in How I Met Your Mother is like toxic masculinity incarnate. But also, he, there's something, the reason Barney works in How I Met Your Mother is that Barney says the worst things, but you still like him. You still come out. You still come out going. Unless you're James. <laughs> unless you're James, <laughs> but you come out of an episode where he's just. He's just, one one of the one of the best jokes on How I Met Your Mother is when um this and this is when the show had got bad but it is it is funny uh, is when Alison Hannigan's character Barney makes a joke that is so bad that she walks out of the show and doesn't reappear for six episodes because she was going she was pregnant and she was giving birth and needs some time off the show <laughs> but that was that was the mechanism that they found to get I her mean, off I the show which was Barney reason, says something horrendous the reason Barney gets away with it is because he's being upfront about it. And like you're you're aware all the time that that is the joke. Yeah, I did. I I think I did watch this the first time round, and I think probably as well because I was a, um, you know, I was a, I was a child of nineties, early two thousands pop culture, and I think even as a as a teenager, that idea of like, well, the nice guy should get the girl. Like that guy's a jerk. Like shouldn't. Yeah, but, like I, and I remember as a teenager thinking, like, why do all, why do all the jerky guys have the girlfriends and all the the nice? Well, guys? this like, is this is this is the, this is the the nice guy thing, isn't it? And and yeah, that's that's the I would. It's something we've all been through. I definitely remember being like this when I was a teenager. But the difference is, most people grow out of it. Yes, uh, the yeah, problem yeah, yeah. in the it? world is that there are people who are not growing out of it. Well, you grow um, out of it, but also, you, uh, also as a teenager, a, a lot of kids are consuming popular culture that peddles that myth of, like, mm. the nice girl should get... The nice guy should get the girl in the end. Like, you, you know, like, you're... Um, I don't know. I'm trying, like, a te- probably a terrible example, but a film like The Girl Next Door, where, like... Yeah, like the the nerdy girls should end up with the gorgeous porn star because each and that's a film with some toxic gender politics for oh, what yeah. it's worth. Um, but yeah, the, the films like that were big and like I, and I th- and I think that was something that was, you know, it, it, I think it probably all goes back to Revenge of the Nerds, which is a movie in which yeah. the nerds <laughs> actually rape a girl, and it's like. It's thrown out there as like a successful mission in the con- in the context of that movie. Um, I think pop culture has ped- had peddled that myth for a long time. It's the yeah, it's the and it, it's the entitlement thing, and it and it and, it, and you know this whole thing, and we kind of getting into it now because you can't really avoid talking about it in relation to this, but it really ties into the the incel culture of entitlement, and it's the it's also I think a lot of it stems from and you know I think a type of fiction that we love superhero fiction is partly responsible in a lot of ways for seeing things in very black and white terms and it's like well here's the here's the good guy here's the bad guy yeah and it's like so if you're oh well you know guys who are who are 
uh, into sports and who are jocks. Well, you know, they're all kind of macho assholes. And I'm a nerdy guy and I'm intelligent and sensitive and that means that I'm a nice guy. And what's actually the case is that guys who are <laughs> jockey sports players are often, in a lot of ways, nice people as well. Sometimes they're complete dickheads. Sometimes they're actually quite nice. People who are nerdy and sensitive, in inverted commas, sometimes they're dickheads. Sometimes they're quite nice. Mm. It's just, you know, people... People have layers to them, and and it's not. And but when you're a teenager, you just view things in terms of well, that but, guy hates me, and and you know bullies me sometimes. So therefore, that means he's the worst possible person. And, and I'm equally, the Twenty One Jump Street movies deal with that in a really like funny and interesting <laughs> way. And that's one of yep. the best things about them is that they completely deconstruct that narrative. James, yeah. please stop shilling for Lord of the Rings. It's getting embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, it's getting embarrassing. Yeah. Um, the flip side of that, Seb, as well, is that you know maybe you are a genuinely nice guy. Maybe you're the maybe you're the nicest guy in the world. Maybe you're a better guy than that arsehole over there who is with the girl that you quite like. But you know what? That girl it's, is able to make her own decisions, yeah, and it, it doesn't it, it doesn't entitle you. Yeah. yeah, and and that is that is running through Doctor Horrible. Um, mm. I, I think we can get to it more towards the end, and certainly I think the Incelli stuff uh, uh, for anyone who's not aware does the, the recent spate of uh, uh, terrorist incidents with people who identify as incels, involuntary, involuntary celibates, who kind of think that they are being denied a God-given right to be able to yeah, sleep with the women they want to. Society. Yeah, and that, yes. and that, by the way, that second part is crucial, that what you just said about the women they want to, because if it was, you know, I'm not saying it would be justifiable if it was just that you know they they don't think anybody wants them but one of the biggest problems is the fact that it's an entitlement to a certain type of woman who meets their bizarre standards for perfection um but you know that's not really it's a it's a it's a nuanced part of the discussion but it's just it's what make what how you can tell that they are so completely unreasonable is that they're not really complaining about being lonely they're complaining about not getting a certain type of mythical woman that exists in their minds Mm. (laughs) <laughs> more like exists in their browser history but i mean seb, seb we we, oh, we obviously having seen this before we talked about I, i've wanted to do dots horrible for a long time on this podcast but i think now it's felt like more the, painfully relevant now yeah <laughs> yes now felt like a time where it was it was i mean when you've got people like jordan peterson who are so uh, I don't know, so prominent online. And I mean, I, I heard the other day, I'm a big NFL fan. I heard he was asked to, he was invited in to speak to the Seattle Seahawks. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, this is, this is, this is a thing that is, is not just like an undercurrent from these like toxic guys who are existing on Reddit forum, you know, Reddit boards and 4chan or whatever. There are people who society is to an extent embracing who are I was gonna say, kind it's of definitely like reinforcing weird. the ideology. It's weird that like the whole sort of, Oh, I'm a nice guy was, it was in popular culture 10 years ago, but now it's part of the sort of dominant narrative. Yeah. Like <laughs> the world's you know, culture in, in cells are shooting up schools or whatever. So people have to know about it. Popular culture has reacted, but society is, yeah. has, yeah. has not, but I, 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 th- I think, I think with horrible, I, I think it becomes evident even in this first song is that he, 
you can even just take away the aspect of him that's that's interested in Penny. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of see over the course of um, the kind of first part that, that he's stalkerish with her. But I think as well, even if you take kind of Penny out of it, there is definitely a temptation to see him as an anti-hero that, you know, because he's the protagonist, the idea that, well, he's, you know, he's he's a villain. He wants to be a supervillain, but he's not really that bad because, you know, he's trying to join the League of Evil, but then they say he has to kill someone and he's a he's a bit squeamish about the idea of killing someone. Yeah. And yet in this very first song, he talks about wanting to take over the world. He, says he wants to bend the world to our will. It's like, you yeah. know, he, he might not think it himself, but he has a very clear stated aim of he wants to subjugate the world and he tries to justify it and again you know we'll probably come to it later with a specific song that it comes up in but you know he he feels that the world has gone wrong and the only way to fix it is for him to run it well that makes him a supervillain. there's no question that he is absolutely a villain <laughs> because he sees that the only way for the world to be in his eyes good is for it to be a totalitarian dictatorship with him at the yeah. top of it yeah Oh. Anyway, so I mean, it's uh, who who knew that the, the Dr. Sex. Horrible episode was going to be this heavy, <laughs> but it is. Um, my freeze ray, anyone's favorite song? I it, apparently this is the song that Joss Whedon kind of like came up with first and used this to get you people interested in the project. Premise, yeah, but it, it, yeah. It, it, it's not the it's not the best or the most memorable one. It's it's fine. Yeah, um, it's okay. Uh, it's not. It's one that I would consider skipping over when it comes up on Spotify. <laughs> okay, the bad horse chorus. Oh, never. Um, so yeah. So out, out of uh, my freeze ray, we are introduced to Moist, played by Simon Helberg, who, believe it or not, you guys <laughs> is probably famous now. <laughs> is it? Well, is probably of the four main actors in this the most yeah. famous now. <laughs> Which yeah, you would not have thought in the late two thousand. Like you think of all the things that he he popped up in in the two thousands, um, and even even after Big Bang Theory had started, I think he was still popping up in things. You know, because because Big Bang Theory for about its first three seasons or so wasn't the biggest sitcom in America the way it is now. He turns up as Moist, which is uh, it, it's it's a funny concept. He's a he's a henchman and again helps you get a better grasp on this world that there are some people are villains some people are henchmen it's in fact it's sky high right (laughs) (laughs) no i I think what this does as well is it it shows you the level that horrible is at is that this is his class of friend (laughs) yes this is where he is in the world (laughs) he's a laughing stock but also his ambitions are like moist is a shit but that's all he is whereas horrible Horrible's got an ideology, and that's the more that's the more dangerous thing about him. I'm not, that's very I, I think, insightful. <laughs> I think I think the thing with Moise is I know he doesn't even seem like a particularly bad guy. He seems like somebody who um, uh, he, he does he, encourage Dots Horrible later in the in the thing to murder a kid who is going to become president, or maybe just some old lady. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I think it's he he strikes me as somebody who became a villain because he's got these rubbish powers and what else would he do with them? <laughs> like you know, He doesn't have very heroic powers. But this is the point at which we're introduced to the concept of Bad Horse, who is the leader of the eagle, Evil League of Evil. Bad Horse, Bad Horse, Bad Horse, he rides across the nation, the thoroughbred. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He got the application that you just sent in. It needs evaluation, so let the games begin. A heinous crime, a show of force, a murder would be nice, of course. Bad horse, bad horse, bad horse, he's bad. League of Evil is watching, so beware. The grade that you receive will be your last, we swear. So make the bad horse gleeful, or he'll make you his mare. You're saddled up, there's no recourse. It's high or silver, side bad horse. A spoiler for the end. Who, on the first time of watching, expected Bad Horse to be a horse? <laughs> no. A nice little tidbit about this. Um, Joss Whedon was originally going to be working with Ben Edlund on this, who's obviously creator of The Tick. Um, right, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and, and and Ben Edlund had also written for Angel. And apparently, consistently throughout the history of Angel, Ben Edlund had pitched for a villain who was an actual horse. And <laughs> they kept going like, nice, I don't think it's going to work. And so Ben Edlund, when he, in the very early stages of conversations around this, was like, well, what about Bad Horse? And <laughs> so, idea, yeah. yeah. And so struck me now use the idea. say Ben Edlund's name, like the the world building in this, how it is basically. Very tick-like. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Um, I just, one thing about seeing as we are talking about it, because it's all, one thing about, about Bad Horse, and it, it's a moment from later on, but it's actually one of my favourite moments in the whole thing, um, when... Billy's in the laundrette with Penny talking to her. It's when they're eating the frozen yogurt. And he says something about bad horse. He makes reference to bad horse. And Penny just goes, the thoroughbred of sin. And yes. it's like that idea that everyone knows who bad horse is. <laughs> and that everyone knows that name for him. And the way she's like terrified by it. It's just a really nice little touch. <laughs> and I think the, the this 
the bad horse interlude here is a great example of how Whedon gets the most out of his visuals and on, you know, on this tiny budget, we have, I think Jed and Zach Whedon, I'm not sure who the other guy is, but coming in from the side, mm. almost as if they are riding a horse, bouncing up and down, dressed kind of, <laughs> kind of cowboy style with these handlebar mustaches, um, and jumping out back in and out of frame at just, just the right time possible. It's contagious. You want Bad Horse to be sending letters every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so that's the uh, that's the bad the first bad horse chorus. Uh, we go out of that though, and so bad horse has basically said, "Doctor Horrible, you, if if you want to get into the evil league of evil, which is his stated ambition, um, then you need to pull off something big." And Doctor Horrible says, "Great, I'm stealing this case of Wonderflonium tomorrow with my freeze ray. Uh, so I'm I'm, I'm going to well, go off and do that to make his freeze ray." To make his freeze ray, sorry, yes. Um, and that's what we see him go off and do. And on rewatching this, I was like, oh, that's the universal backlot. You guys, I love, <laughs> I love, I love the universal backlot because that's where Hill Valley is. Uh, but yeah, so universal backlot and we have, um, horrible is pulling off his first heist, <laughs> um, which is to steal this wonderfulonium. So he puts a, a like, a MacGuffin device on the top of a car or on the top of a van, which he can then remote control from his iPhone, his very early iPhone. And Penny comes up and talks to him while he's doing that. And uh, said, this is another great example of the the show tipping its hand to what's, what's uh, Dr. Horrible's actual ambitions. Is it, does, does, does he really want to be with Penny or mm. does he really want to be an evil shit? Because she comes up to him and asks him to invest in something that she is passionate and cares about, and he ignores her because he's got something better to do. Mm-hmm. I, I like as well, by the way, that she gets the this just this really short snippet of of her song and Ugh. is kind of not exactly interrupted, but just it stops because people are ignoring her. Will you lend a caring hand to shelter those who need it? Only have to sign your name. Don't even have to read it Would you help? No? How about you? But it really reminds me of the moment in the Buffy musical uh, where Dawn starts to sing a a song (laughs) and gets through two lines. She she gets to sing, does anybody even notice? Does anybody even care? Before being kidnapped and bundled into a van. And it's the most perfect piece of meta-commentary on how everybody feels about that character. (laughs) And this is a bit like that. (laughs) (laughs) We should talk about Penny, though. Um, who she, 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 the, the caring hands, I think is a really gorgeous little melody. And I think Felicia Day is the, probably the most talented singer amongst this cast. And she, she turns up and, um, I think Neil, Neil Patrick Harris is a better singer, but yeah. Oh yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I, I mean, he does, they, they do ask him to do some vocal gymnastics in the course of this. Um, but I think Felicia Day plays a, a, a really great part in that she kind of like, she's asked to be almost like a manic pixie dream girl without the manic pixie part. Like what you're describing is just a kind of generic love interest. Like of the kind you would have got in a superhero comic sort of 
you know, 40 years Yeah, ago. maybe, but I, I don't, I, I think it speaks a lot to when the third episode of this came out and, you know, and, and Penny dies. Fans online reacted really positively to the first two parts and then kind of went fuck you to the third part because Penny died. And I think that might be partly because Penny died and partly because people kind of liked Doctor Horrible. And I don't know, because it kind of basically, this will end by going, if you like the heroic character, he's not a hero. If you like the villain, he's much more of a villain than you thought he was. <laughs> and if you and if you like the love interest, she dies. So it's pretty much a kick in the teeth if you invested in any one of these three characters. Um, I mean, that makes it, you know, that makes the message of it stronger. But I think you're right that a lot of people maybe didn't pick the message up the first time. Yes, I, like, yeah, I remember, yeah. even though I didn't see it when it first aired, I remembered that backlash and everyone going like, oh, what the fuck is this? Like, Joss Whedon's lost it. Like, this, the first of many accusations that Joss Whedon has lost it. <laughs> um, and in this case, I think it was unjustified because that's clearly his intention. Yeah. Like, uh, it's difficult, isn't it? Because probably if you're used to watching stuff where women get killed off for no good reason seeing it happen here may have made you go oh that again (laughs) we'll we'll have a we'll have a real debate about that at the end of the episode (laughs) let's not do it now because this isn't the point to do it but yeah we'll we'll have that conversation for not the first time this year on the first time today (laughs) (laughs) um so what we get here though is um and we'll listen to a little bit of it is the uh, i think I, I'm going to guess Seb's favourite song in this, which is uh, A Man's Got To Do and the introduction of Captain Hammer. Soon I'll control everything My wish is your command Stand back everyone, nothing here to see Just imminent danger in the middle of it, me Yes, Captain Hammer's here, hair blowing in the breeze The day needs my saving expertise Man's gotta do what a man's gotta do Seems destiny ends with me saving you The only doom that's looming is you loving me today So I'll give you a second to catch your breath yeah, it's I, I, it's a toss up between this and one other uh, as to what my favourite song in it is, and I think this po- this is the one that more gets stuck in my head. Actually, no, the other one does as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 but I anyway, I, I love it. I really like this. Um, it's great at establishing Captain Hammer's character. I really like the part towards the end where they're all singing over each other. Um, you know, th- this to me is a really good example of like I. I know some people really don't like musicals, and I'm not like an enormous fan of musicals in that I follow absolutely everything. I I really like certain musicals as opposed to just indiscriminately loving all of them. But I really like when musicals can do something like this in terms of getting character and situation oh. and dynamics across in a two or three minute time frame. I think this um, this is the most efficient does. song in doing that. Yeah, but it, yeah. It, it introduces Captain Hammer. You get exactly what the Captain Hammer vibe is. You mm. are in the introduction of the C- Captain Hammer Penny relationship happens as part of the song. Yeah, and the 
and the pre-existing dynamic between Hammer and Doctor Horrible is implied. And you, you get all of those things straight away. And also, it's such an earworm. Yeah, <laughs> like it you really is. You can't walk away from this. the most earwormy one in the whole thing. <laughs> we, w- we were debating at the end of last episode which song we should sing <laughs> as the uh, tease for this episode. And I was like, well, it has to be a Captain Hammer one because... Those are the only ones I can actually sing and not. I mean, I know it. I know it didn't sound good, but it was, it was the only, the only ones, ones I thought that, I could. That, he, that Nathan Fillion is the one who's got a vaguely similar range to you. Yeah. Yes, I think I think um, that is fair. But yeah, the, the, uh, and, and spoilers. The other one is that. That's my other possible favorite. Is the other Captain Hammer song? Yeah, <laughs> not mine. Actually, went with james um, did uh, just just because I, I don't want to tease this out if there isn't one did you have a favorite song from this or or did the songs kind of just wash over you i mean i've only seen it once and i've only listened to everything once so nothing really jumped out at me okay that's um, fair yeah it wasn't <laughs> I, I don't think joss, joss whedon is a strong songwriter put it that way <laughs> uh, I, see, oh no! See, see, the thing that annoys me about this and the buffy musical is that he's good at writing songs that yeah. really irritates me <laughs> Yeah. I think that the, I think, I he's think good the at doing, rain like pastiches of existing stuff. But. Oh yeah, yeah. But I think that the the range of different stuff that he's able to pull off, yeah, in the which in the in the course in the of this forty two, which is all about playing with every, every song in the Buffy musical plays with a different style deliberately. And and I think for the most part does it really well. Like there are songs that I skip because they're boring. Has anybody ever listened to Tara's song all the way through in in the Buffy? <laughs> um, um, that's the only one that I actually listen to outside of like <laughs> I've got that on playlists because I like that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, anyway, going going back to a man's what we've got to do. Uh, what I love is yeah the the immediate the 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 ego the hubris the shitty cargo pants and black gloves <laughs> with literally just the logo of a hammer on his t-shirt captain hammer is so shit but he I, is I, like i love him <laughs> oh I, I i love him as well but the, yeah the, this this kind of swashbuckling douchebagginess of the character mm. coming in yeah talking about his hair blowing in the breeze and i love that penny then that, so the, the for anyone that hasn't seen it, he has Captain Hammer has destroyed the device that yeah, Doctor Do- 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 Horrible is using a remote device to control the van with the Wonder Flonium in that he's controlling through an app on his iPhone. I love how yeah. two thousand and eight the interface on the app. Like, <laughs> do you remember when iPhone screens looked like that? It was great. Like when, when we all first got iPhones. Oh, you guys, um, I just got an iPhone eight and it's red. I'm not sure if you know what that means, but that means it's fast. So I'm honestly. <laughs> I'm in he- I'm in iPhone heaven right now. But yeah, so like then so yeah, so Captain Hammer sees the van being stolen and jumps down and punches the the device which sends the van careening out of control towards Penny. Um and Horrible, Horrible is trying to stop it himself. Trying to stop it but doesn't have control and then manages to get it to stop just as Captain Hammer is about to stop it and Captain Hammer has shoved Penny out of the way into some garbage. And this is where I think this is really interesting because Dr. Horrible views this as, this was your fault, you yeah. nearly killed her because you sent the van out of control, and I stopped the van, I saved her. And there's Actually, a way of watching it, there's a way of watching it where, <laughs> yeah, that is what happened. Yeah, but also, from Captain Hammer's point of view, Dr. Horrible was stealing that stuff, he he stopped him from stealing the van, 
he actually okay the van stops before it reaches horrible and he does shove her into uh, before it reaches uh, uh captain hammer sorry he does shove penny into garbage but equally he does stop her from getting hit by the van and if the van hadn't stopped just before him what what we know or what we learn about captain hammer's strength he probably would have stopped it so from captain hammer's point of view he does actually do right and save her and that's what I think is quite interesting about this because Captain Hammer, and this runs throughout. Captain Hammer is a dick, no question. Yeah. He's he's selfish, um, and unpleasant and smug. Equally, he is a superhero. He does save people, and later on in this, he does something major, which he doesn't do for altruistic reasons at all. Hmm. Um, but he does something positive, something that Penny wanted to achieve. He yeah. makes happen. He yeah. he gets the homeless shelter opened because he's Captain Hammer. He doesn't do it because he likes the homeless people, and it's established that he thinks homeless people are horrible and smelly, <laughs> but he does it anyway. Dr. Horrible sees himself as having altruistic motives, ultimately. It's like, I'm a nice guy, I just have to do bad things to make the but world right. But never gives a shit about what Penny wants, never gives yeah. a shit about what she cares about. And like Do- uh, Captain Hammer might be doing these things to have sex with her yeah but he's still still, (laughs) but he's still doing things to make her happy yeah and and so yeah you walk out of of this going they're both assholes but (laughs) at least one of them was an asshole who at least feigned to care about the person that that he purported (laughs) to care about um and i just gotta say the the one the one line from this that is uh, all of this near worm but dr horrible saying i stopped the van the remote control was in my hand (laughs) I can never yeah. get that out of my head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never get that, that out of my that, head. As I say, it's that bit where they're all singing over each other is the bit that yeah. always gets stuck in my head. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, Although and I, that... think there's a, I think there's a metaphor for the whole thing in that Penny gets really drowned out in the song. And I don't even know if that's maybe a deliberate stylistic choice, but she's the one who, when they're singing over each other, you can't really hear what she's singing. And if it's accidental then it's an accidental metaphor for the whole story. And if it's deliberate, then it's a clever, deliberate metaphor for the whole story. (laughs) That's, I think that's a bit of a Joss Whedon-y thing. You know, (laughs) like, best of intentions with female characters wanting to be feminist, but sometimes tripping over his own heels in, in wanting to do that. But, yeah, I mean, that, that, that that probably, that probably speaks to the issues that, the thing I always think about Joss Whedon is at least he's trying. Because, <laughs> like, there are a lot yeah. of people making TV shows who aren't even thinking about this stuff. Yeah. So, Act 1 ends Riverman's Gotta Do, and at that point, Penny has fallen for Captain Hammer. And Act 2 opens up, um, thankfully, not with Dr. Horrible back in front of his computer again, but with uh, a no, song. Does. Well, oh, a, a shot, yes. And I, a- I, I really like that shot, the way it opens with him sat in front of the computer not knowing what to say and looking yeah. horrified because of what's transpired. And then it goes into the song. Yeah. And and the song, this, this is, um, well, let's, let's take a, look, a quick listen to it. This is My Eyes. Anyone with half a brain could spend their whole life howling in pain. Because the dark is everywhere and Penny doesn't seem to care that in the dark in me is all that will remain. And I Listen close to everybody's heart And hear that breaking sound Hopes and dreams are shattering apart And crashing to the ground 
I cannot believe my eyes How the world's finally grows and lies But it's plain to and see And it's plain to see Evil inside of, inside of me Is on the rise Now guys, My Eyes is my favourite song from Dr. Horrible Um <laughs> Uh, this is the one that I never skip over if it comes on. I just think it's it, it's a gorgeous harmony in and of itself. Um, I think it's the, it's the one that's the most musically. Because coming back to that, yeah. Thing, I mean, and obviously, a man's got to do have the thing with the three of them singing, but kind of does it for comic effect. This does the classic musical thing of two people singing. And they're singing different things, but their lines intersect. And sometimes mm. they sing the same line in harmony, and then other times they're singing a different version yeah. of it. Um, you know that that split screen bit with the two of them is is great because again, with a man's got to do, you've got Nathan Fillion who is is fine at what he's doing, but is not necessarily technically the most accomplished singer. Here, you've got two really good singers singing in harmony with each other, and it it works really well. And and when you when you look at what Penny is singing about, and when you look at what Dot Horrible singing about, so mm. Penny is singing about uh, still her kind of her her wishes to, you know, give the the homeless a place to live, that she wants to see the good in people. And that also she is seeing the world in a new light because she's found a new love. Dr. Horrible sings. This is a guy who is ostensibly singing about not getting the girl he wants. And he sings, mm. any adult with half a brain can see that humankind has gone insane to the point where I don't know if I'll upset the status quo, if I throw poison in the water main. Like that is incel terroristy stuff right there, right? That is <laughs> that is that is a guy who goes, This girl doesn't want me, fuck everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he hasn't even reached his darkest ebb yet. Um it's But yeah, I I, I I I love I love this song. I love um every time it because Laura really enjoys Dr. Horrible as well. And anytime this comes on in the car, like I will sing Dr. Horrible's parts and she'll sing Penny's parts. <laughs> and not because, not because we've ever designed it that way, just because they're the bits that we like singing in terms of like what our voice fits. So it's really, it's, I, I, I always love it when this song comes on. And that, that, um, that would be my favorite snapshot of your, of your married slash home life <laughs> on this podcast. Were it not for the stories of you reading out saga, Oh yes, doing the voices. <laughs> yeah, well, I also did that with uh, Paul Dini's Batman uh, comics, which I do a mean, I do a mean Mark Hamill Joker. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've done it with quite a few comics. It was difficult with Giant Days. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> I struggled my way through that one. Um, yeah, so so I love my eyes. I think it's a nice kind of reintroduction to this concept of. Dr. Horrible's bummed out that he's lost the girl that he really likes, but listen to what he's saying and it's completely justified. Um, 
And so then we do cut back to the blog, uh, Dr. Horrible. Um, he, he, the one thing that's almost lost when you watch it the first time is because Captain Hammer, because he's a shit superhero, is so pulled over by the fact that he's met Penny and he's like, oh, maybe I'm going to have sex. Um, he forgets entirely why he was stopping the van being hijacked and Dr. <laughs> Horrible gets to run off with the wonderful Yeah. Yeah. So he's completed his series, Ray. He's on his blog talking about how he's going to use it the next day. And then Seb, the smash cut you were talking about, Dr. Horrible finds out that actually the LAPD and Dr. Horrible all watch his blog and knew what he was (laughs) going to do. (laughs) And then just the the, the cut, the the slightly different angle, the fact that he's been beaten up and Neil Patrick Harris's delivery of the line, Captain Hammer threw a car at my head. It's just so funny. It kills me every time. (laughs) (laughs) But I tell you who isn't happy, Seb. That's Bad Horse. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Horse has seen his humiliation and uh now he's like if you want to join the Evil League of Evil you're going to have to do something like actually murder someone. And Dr. Horrible saying that's not my vibe. Moist is trying to talk him into it. Um but he but yeah like this I think this is the point at which Joss Whedon is is trying to get the audience to fall into that false sense of security of maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. You know, trying trying to nudge you back in the direction of maybe he's not I, I forget everything I told you. Maybe maybe you are right to slightly like him. Maybe he's not that bad. Uh ignore everything he said out loud. Now he's saying <laughs> that actually he doesn't want to kill someone. <laughs> and this is the point at which he like starts to actually get to know Penny um at the laundromat, which we, we which we keep flashing back to and this time penny does get to sing her song here's a story of a girl who grew up lost and lonely thinking love was fairy tale and trouble was made only for me even in the darkness every color can be found and every day of rain brings water flowing to things growing in the ground. And so I think it's nice that Felicity Day gets gets that gets that one bit to herself in the middle here because otherwise she's kind of she's kind of just riffing off the other two. Um Yeah. I mean it's good that she gets an interior life, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and then there is, I think, a lot of people's favourite scene, non-musical scene in Doctor Horrible, which is where Doctor, where Doctor, Hor- well, where Billy is with Penny and Captain Hammer arrives to meet Penny, um, introduces himself and it's like, oh, you're the Billy that, um, Penny keeps talking about. Penny walks off and Captain Hammer makes it clear. Well, he makes two things clear. One. <laughs> That he knows that Billy is Doctor Horrible. And two... <laughs> given, given that we're playing in bits of the songs, can we actually play in the line? <laughs> Let's do it. Penny's giving it up. She's giving it up hard. Because she's with Captain Hammer. And these are not the hammer. The hammer is my penis. I'm amazed we got this far without saying that. <laughs> it's so good it's so good and i mean it, he is he is brilliant in that in that moment I like, it's one of those where 
you need a you need a certain type of actor with just the right level of um both like kind of lack of self regard but also level of self awareness to to successfully yeah. do that and we yeah. we talk about it's this really more times than we would then would be reasonable or reference it more times than would be reasonable on any <laughs> podcast but for me i knew nathan fillion because of firefly and because of two guys a girl in a pizza place and so obviously in in firefly <laughs> we he is to do a patreon episode where we like just talk about a season of two guys a girl in a pizza place <laughs> uh, what's pete doing now i mean i know where berg is but where's pete um <laughs> He showed up on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I was very happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the the um, the Nathan Fillion that I knew was, and and Joss Whedon is always playing with this uh, to an extent on Firefly, but Mal on Firefly is a bit is a bit more. He is ultimately he is a badass space cowboy, whatever the undercuttings you get. Whereas in Two Guys and a Girl, he was just. His character was, he's a dummy. He's just, he's just a lovable dummy. And I like that you kind of mix those two together here. This kind of egocentric hero who's actually just like a bit of a, a bit of a dumb idiot. And I, yeah, I, I love that particularly in that moment. But yeah, we, we pivot out of that, you guys, from, so Dr. Horrible is, has been taunted by the hero. The bully has made, has made fun of him and, that's when he swings into his as i as i previously described it um vocal gymnastics that is brand new day Disappeared as a moral dilemma Cause at first it was weird Though I swore to eliminate The worst of the plague That devoured humanity It's true I was vague on the how So how can it be that you Have shown me the light It's a brand new day And the sun is high All the birds are singing That you're gonna die How I hesitated Now I wonder why It's a brand new day um, I have no idea how Neil Patrick Harris does that, but fair play. He, he manages to get all of those words out and it is, it's an impressive song, but I, I think this is, you know, like I said, the, the, the pre, the previous stretch has kind of asked us to go, what if Billy, what if, what if it is Billy? And that, that point that I was talking about where he says, what if the, cause, cause she's talking about Dr. Horrible, isn't she? About Captain Hammer and saying, do you know what? I think there's something deeper down underneath the surface, and he's a really nice guy. He's like, yeah, what's on the surface is actually another level underneath, and that's what they're actually like. Yeah, and so what he's what he's saying is, I've got a secret too, but actually, this is me. This this is me. And then something happens that he doesn't like, which is the bully taunts him and says, "I've got the girl, you don't." And he goes full on evil. Um, and I, and I like that my my favorite passage from this song is, um, which again should be a pointer to what his intentions are in that in that yeah. final episode or what the arc he's on is. I know what and you're Pen- going to say. Yeah, and Penny <laughs> Penny will see the evil me, not a joke, not a dork, not a failure, and she may cry, but her tears will dry when I hand her the keys to a shiny new Australia. 
Well, yes, there's two things about that. One is the fact that Australia is surely a Superman 2 reference. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. The, I love that. That, that, I love that, that, that is his true motives made clear, which is that he doesn't actually care about her feelings. As far as he's concerned, she can be upset by discovering that he's really a villain, but she'll get over it when he when he lets her run a country. Um, yeah, and that that is uh, that bit is is the key to him really. I, I and fund- really, fundamentally say, misunderstands what what she wants. Yeah, what she, yeah because he doesn't know anything about her. He, yeah, he if you said to him she's trying to open a homeless shelter, he would not remember that that was something that he'd had a conversation with her about. Mm. Um, yeah, I I didn't say it at the outset, but I I love this one. I, the, this one is really close to. Um, uh, everyone's a hero and man's got to do for me i think this is a really great one um partly because of the performance but also again i just think it's a real it's a real earworm of a of a track and i like the little bit that's the um the little flashback bit to all the times of him being beaten up and then like at different oh. times of the year so it shows him being beaten up at christmas <laughs> <laughs> really great sight gag and also I, I i they were talking about in the special features if you kind of watch um in between those, like, as in between punches, it's as if he's trying to get out different words, or like, <laughs> it's as if he's, it's as if he's trying to argue back against a beatdown, which is such a great microcosm of kind of like the supervillain superhero dynamic, which is, but let me explain my evil plan. No, punch, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but yeah, br- brand new day is great. Um, equally great is the song that kicks off act three. Captain Hammer has told Penny that he's he has secured opening up this homeless shelter and the kind of the entirety of Act 3 is kind of building up to this big event where Captain Hammer is going to get to speak and um they're going to unveil this new homeless shelter and we start that off with kind of you, you see dots of horrible planning stuff in the background but what we actually get is so they say which is kind of a fan song for Captain Hammer. <laughs> so they say Captain Hammer's become a crusader. Political, he's cleaning up the streets. About time. So they say that it's real love. So romantic. He signed this. So they say we'll have blankets and beds we can open by Monday. Thanks to you. Thanks to me. It's the perfect story, so they say. A hero leading the way. Hammer's call to glory. Let's all be our best. Next up, who's gay? This is up there for me, you guys. I love this song. It's it's, I, it's I, fun. I th- I think this has got some is of it the, the funniest best song? gags that are in songs. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Um, I I I really like uh, Marty Noxon and David Fury producers extraordinaire oh. as the two news readers, and I love that that gag about it. Let, let's all be our best. Next up, who's gay? Uh, yes, <laughs> and actually, the bit immediately after that with the I, I love the fans and the, the fact that this is a song about fandom. And the um, they say she she was well, they say she works with the homeless and doesn't eat meat. We have a problem with her. Yes, and you know what? This that's that is I think what my favorite part about this song is, and it's something that goes through the whole of Doctor Horrible. The fact I, I think there is something about that we've obviously talked about the toxic ma- masculinity stuff. I think there's something about like toxic fandom as well. And the facts mm. that the facts that people watch this, this critical fandom, yeah, and and you know that 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 line that you just quoted, we have a problem with her. 
Yeah. Is they don't it, like her because she's going out with Captain Hammer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like they say she works with the homeless and doesn't eat meat. We have a problem with her. <laughs> it's, she, it's she's too nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I love I love those three the, the group of three fans. One of whom is um, Marissa Tancheron, um, one of the one of the creators of this, alongside uh, Jed Joss and Zach Whedon. Uh, she's she's the girl in the uh, in in the red Captain Hammer shirt. She's really great. There's a few. You talked about the Martin Oxen and David Fury cameos. Did you guys know that Sarah Michelle Gellar's there at the end? Oh, is she? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. She's. She is. I, I didn't know it either. I, I watched this with the commentary on. Uh, she is. If if you watch the final showdown in the like auditorium area, um, she has like ostentatious sunglasses and a wig on to kind of obscure her. <laughs> but as soon as as soon as you you as soon as it's pointed out, you're like, oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, James, how did you find? So they say. Did you did you like the gags in this one at least? Yeah, I mean, I when I was listening to it, I was kind of like, this is the Joss Whedon who has just come off the back of like intense scrutiny for Buffy. <laughs> like you can, it was for me the thing where they're like, we have a problem with her. When that happened, I was thinking, like, this, it reminds me of, like, Willow and Kennedy and the flack he got for putting Willow with someone who wasn't Tara. It's funny, isn't it, that you can pick out kind of lines from each song that kind of feel like the, or lines or passages from each song which feel like the the crucial. Mm-hmm. We've, we've almost been able to do that with every song, that there is a stretch that you just, like, it stands out to you and it resonates, even James for you on, on one watch. I think that's the line that Seb and I would also say is the line from So They Say that you go, yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. It's, it's incongruous, I think, and therefore stands out as being sort of something he clearly wanted to be in the song very strongly. <laughs> yeah, there is definitely a uh, constant dialogue of Joss Whedon through Dr. Horrible working through some of his issues of being scrutinized and having this very intense fan base on him. So yeah, so we we then we then there's a, there's a lot of songs in this final act. There's not much dialogue, uh which is I think is is in its favor. Uh we go to the opening of the homeless shelter um where yeah, we're going to have a, a statue of Captain Hammer unveiled, uh but also it's where we know that Dr. Horrible is planning his assault. But before he does, we get to hear um, Seb's favourite song, which is Captain Hammer. And, uh, uh, you know, and the song that I sung last week, Captain Hammer singing, <laughs> Everyone's a Hero. So I thank my girlfriend, Penny. <laughs> we totally had sex. She showed me there's so many different muscles I can flex. There's the deltoids of compassion. There's the abs of being kind. It's not enough to bash in heads You've got to bash in minds Everyone's a hero in their own way Everyone's got something they can do Get up, go out and fly Especially that guy who smells like poo Everyone's a hero in their own way Mostly me and you I'm poverty's new sheriff 
And I'm bashing in the slums A hero doesn't care if you're a bunch of scary alcoholic bums Everybody, everyone's a hero in their own way Everyone can blaze a hero's trail Don't worry if it's hard If you're not a friggin' tard You will prevail Yeah, we totally had sex That's my favourite That's my favourite That's my favourite passion in this song When I was singing this on the podcast For the final section I was like How far back can I push this? Because I really want to sing There's the deltoids of compassion And there's the abs of being kind <laughs> bashing heads you've got to bash in mind but I also really didn't want to sing especially that guy he smells like poo um, <laughs> well you, you did sing the line that unfortunately has got a, a, something that's not really considered a slur uh, in America but is, yeah. yeah which is a shame because I do actually think that's a that's a really funny line but it is also yeah um, it was it was unavoidable unfortunately but um yeah, I know. I, I, not... I, I, I really like because it, it like the same gag kind of recurs through the song, but it's particularly the construction of the uh, uh, you and you and mostly me and you. <laughs> it's, um... it's great. It's just it's just like it's just a great comedy set piece. It's, have say, you guys? This is, this is the one I found funniest, and I think it's because it works as just a sort of pure comedy thing. It's not so much about yeah. the storytelling. And, yeah, and, and Nathan Fillion could take out of context, and yeah. all, all you need to know is uh, this is a jackass superhero singing a song about how great he is, and it, mm. and it mm-hmm. just works on its own. And this one, this one gets stuck in my head so often, maybe even more so than a man's got to do. Actually, mm. I just whenever I think of Doctor Horrible, I get this song <laughs> stuck in my head. Um, have you guys seen the Book of Mormon? No, no, actually. Um, right, so the, the Book of Mormon is excellent, but there's a song very. Again, this is another one of my favorite musicals. There's a, this is my favorite musicals tend to be funny. Uh, but there's a, there's a there's a song early on in um, Book of Mormon called "You and Mo- You and Me, but Mostly Me," um, and it's <laughs> it's the lead character um, singing about "You and Me, but Mostly Me." We're gonna save the world together, and it is it is this song. It's that line that you just quoted, Seb, um, but. It's what it is. Is the start of a character arc. It's this. Is this e- this egotistical young Mormon who is convinced that he is Joseph Smith reincarnate and that he is going to lead the Mormon Church into a new into a new century. Um, and comes to realize throughout the course of the of the um, musical that it's not all about him. But this is this is Captain. This is the end of Captain Hammer's arc. <laughs> the, end of, like the end of Captain Hammer's arc is look at me aren't I great <laughs> and I love I love that that the superhero he's just a douche he's just he's not a bad guy we know he's not a bad guy because he's going out and he's trying to do the best thing every day he's not got the best intentions because he's like he's with a girl that he, because basically because he wants to have sex with her longer relationships have been built on less than that so <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We've skipped past it, but the last the last song has the line, this is so nice, I just might sleep with the same yeah. girl twice. Yeah. They say it's better the time this is the second time they say you get to do the weird stuff. <laughs> and then we do the weird stuff. Yeah. Which I mean I I I would have jumped in and sung that uh, without saying if it wasn't for the fact that we made that promise earlier on. So 
Count yourselves. Uh, uh, do, do you know what though? The, the fact that this this third act kicks off with so they say and everyone's a hero, which are just both downright hilarious. Even even when you get to slipping, I I, I think you're not quite sure what's going to happen. So Captain Hammer is interrupted a syllable off from thinking his from finishing his song by Doctor Horrible and his freeze ray, which he has now also given death ray capability. And he sings Slipping. Everything's slipping away, so... Go ahead, run away, say it was horrible. Spread the word, tell a friend, tell them the tale. Get a pick, do a block, heroes are over with. Look at him, not a word, hammer, meat, nail. Then I win, then I get everything I ever. All the cash, all the fame, and social change. Anarchy, then I run, it's Dr. Horrible's turn. You people all have to learn. This world is going to burn, burn. Yeah, it's two R's, H-O-R-R, yeah, right. Burn. So, yeah, so this, guys, is... It's it's the whole thing slowed down, dialed up a notch. But almost this is the one that I kind of... I. Certainly on rewatch, I kind of like glaze over slightly because I'm just. I, th- I think it's the most skippable song in the whole thing. Um, but because we all, because I feel like we already know that Doctor Horrible's at this point. We already we like and, and once you've got the point of Doctor Horrible on more than one watch, once you once you're completely on board with jo- what Joss Whedon's trying to do, it's like yeah. Doctor Horrible's turned up, and he's about to do something really shitty. And at this point, he doesn't think Penny's there, but he doesn't. It doesn't matter really because he's decided that the bad guy is the version of him that, that think, Penny's Penny's going to get anyway. I, th- I think the song labors the point a bit, but I think it's kind of deliberate because I think it's this is horrible, kind of telling himself that this is what he's become you know he's he's monologuing uh you know he's sort of he's yes he, yeah, yeah. he's basically telling the world but really himself that he's a horrible villain and it's kind of it's almost like he's kind of building up to doing what he has to do but doesn't want to do which is to, to kill captain hammer um, and it's the it's and the it, do- and it's almost like he has to declare that he's this villain in really elaborate and over the top terms uh, before he can do that and it's Joss Whedon doing what he does in so many of these types of stories, which is introducing the trope, doing the trope, but then subverting the trope. So it's villain turns up and he's going to monologue and he's going to monologue for, for long enough that the hero is going to be able to strike back at him. Um, and so uh, Dr. Horrible's song ends where he's been monologuing for so long that actually his freeze ray has now run out, that the gun has glitched slightly and... Captain Hammer turns up, punches him, sings the last syllable of his song, which is something you don't get from re-listening to the soundtrack. <laughs> so it's always worth re-watching the actual thing for it. Um, <laughs> but then, but then you get the, the 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 big twist in it, which is that it's. I think it's slightly convoluted because it comes about from the hero deciding he is just going to kill Doctor Horrible. Which isn't something that our traditional superheroes do. That our traditional superheroes, because because Hammer feels like a pastiche of your Square Jord, mm. your Batman's, your Superman's. I think like somewhere in the middle of those two, um, 
he's not a Boy Scout, but he's not like the Punisher either. Uh, but at this point, he just goes, "Ah, oh, fuck it, Doctor Horrible, you're such a shit. I'm just going to kill you." It depends if does he actually. And I, this is one of those where I don't know if we're overthinking this, but it's like, does he believe that Doctor Horrible has actually created an actual death ray? Well, he knows it's a freeze ray, so if he's saying it's a freeze ray and a death ray, one of the but two things he, has already is worked. Is it just that he, that he sees Horrible as so pathetic mm. and useless that this thing probably won't actually kill him? It'll just knock him out? <laughs> I've got to say, I didn't Maybe. know from watching it. <laughs> no, I, 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 just, I just thought it was... I did wonder if I was overthinking it. I, I thought it was Whedon drawing a line under... They're both shits. They're both, like... Like, do you know what? Doctor Horrible is worse. The nice guy is not the good guy. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make this other guy right either. This doesn't make this other guy care for Penny even any. Like he cares for he cares for her more probably than Horrible does. Um, but he doesn't he doesn't really care for her either. Like it's just I think it's Whedon making clear right at the end. Here are two different forms of toxic masculinity. It just so happens that one form is worse. And I and I think also it's it's because of because of what happens. Hammer fires the gun, but the gun because it's taken a knock backfires and blows up. So Doctor Horrible feels pain for the first time, which Nathan Fillion is hilarious with. Uh, but also the shrapnel of the gun exp- exploding fires everywhere. And kills Penny, and yeah, I think I think it's a, it's another way that like I think Whedon's almost inviting people to read this wrong. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think he's almost inviting people well, to go. Don't get it. D- honestly, don't get what I'm saying with this. In in comparison to Deadpool two, there is no way that Joss Whedon is not aware of the trope of fridging. They're just oh no, yeah, because yeah. he he's been accused of it before this with Tara, even though it's not a male character that it affects. I think people use the term in relation to Tara. Um, well, we we sort of had this discussion, didn't we, about what is fridging and yeah, because fridging when Tara dies, it does move Warren's character arc on, mm. even though he's the one who kills her. So, like you, there, you know, there are readings that would paint that as a fridging. Well, we talked we talked about fridging off air because of Deadpool, and we've continued to talk about this because everyone that has talked about Deadpool in relation to it since, where it's Ryan Reynolds, where it's the writers, whether it's the directors, have kind of gone like either, oh, we didn't know what fridging was, or oh, well, here's the reason we did it. We needed to get way to this position. It's going, guys, you're not. If you d- if you didn't know what fridging was and you're writing a Deadpool movie, that's professional negligence. Mm-hmm. And if you did know what it did, what it was, and you and you did this anyway, then like you you you've literally just carried out the act of fridging and and have admitted to that to playing into that trope and not really understanding why there's any problem with it. And so we mm. talked about what fridging is because James, you were saying that in a way it's kind of like a reverse fridging because normally a fridging motivates the male character and that motivates them to go out and get revenge or do this. Whereas Deadpool, the death in Deadpool yeah, it de- demotivates, it de-motivates him. him. Yeah. 
But actually, what fridging is, what, what fridging was defined as when Gail Simone first came up with the, with what first pointed the trope out to the wider public is prov- a, a, a female character even being killed or having her agency removed. Yeah, it was specifically killed or maimed. Killed or maimed or depowered in, in superhero comics. Yeah. To, to move, to move forward the progression of the male character. Mm-hmm. And or, that or, or, is or the male character's story. Yeah. Yes, and that is what happens in Deadpool with Vanessa. Um, I think, but what, I I think you can argue it doesn't. It it's not what happens in Doctor. Well, Horrible. it's I, I I think there are two arguments, two different arguments for why this isn't a fridging. The first is that you're invited to interpret it as. This is the moment where Dr. Horrible decides to be a villain. Uh, and that's certainly how Horrible himself views it. But I think, as we've discussed, everything that leads up to this makes clear, and maybe it takes you multiple rewatches to get it, but Horrible is a villain from the start. The, the death of Penny does not turn Horrible into a villain. And no. even Penny surviving and Penny deciding to be with Horrible would not turn him into a good guy. Because he wants to give her Australia to rule. Look at the way he grins when Doctor when when the the gun is backfired and Captain Hammer's in pain. He doesn't know at that point that Penny is injured, but he's like, "I've done it. I, I've yeah. done it." And then Penny dies, and if anything, that's the that's the event that could throw him onto a different course. But it does. That's that's where it could be a fridging where where it's like, oh. I'm going to be a good I, guy now. Yeah, I'm going to. I, I, I see. I've seen the error of my ways. That's where it yeah. could be a fridging, where it does. But what it instead does is he ignores it and carries on on his way. My other argument for why it's not a fridging is, I think, a, a, a true fridging in the sense of being a an appalling treatment of a female character who's treated as disposable and and not actually important to the story, except to move it on for the male character. Is that you could, you could substitute what happens with something else. Um, so, I mean, the original example of women in refrigerators trope dates to an issue of, of Green Lantern, uh, where Carl Rayner's girlfriend is murdered by the villain Major Force and stuffed in his fridge. Um, and this drives him, you know, to, to, to get revenge and to, to fight Major Force. Um, but the, the story is not about, the death of the character it happens off the page and it is only there as something to move us on to the next part of the story Mm. whereas and we said this at the very start dr horrible is a story about the negative effect of toxic masculinity and ultimately the negative effect of toxic masculinity in this story is penny dies a good and nice person dies (laughs) because her life has crossed over with yeah, and, these and, two awful and, men. And in real life, it's worth pointing out, that is the effect of toxic, yes, toxic masculinity, exactly. is that women die. Like Men die too, but more frequently women yeah. die. W- women die because men are shitty. That is what Dr. Horrible is ultimately about. And, and if not die, Penny suffer. Die, oh yeah, women die or suffer. Yeah, Penny yeah. dies because of these two crap men. Um, so I can see... And particularly in the moment when this first happened and you kind of go back. And I think there are good arguments that 
Penny doesn't have enough agency in this story to be satisfying enough as a female character. And I think there is a good argument that that the story is too much about the men and not enough about her. Yeah, I I think that is fair. I think you can do Doctor Horrible differently and do more with Penny. I mean, even the fact that she barely properly gets her own song in it. And, you know, there's only that little sliver of character development with her. These are all entirely valid points and entirely valid criticisms, um, you know, that I don't disagree with. But I do not think that this is... And well, just from a technical point of view, I wouldn't call it a fridging. But in a, it's like with the Bechdel test. It's like you can say something technically is or isn't and ignore the point about whether that's good or bad. I don't think this is a bad example of a female character has been killed for no good reason. This female character has been killed to make the point that the entire thing is about, which is this is a bad thing that happens because of these people being this way. And we should learn from this. You know? But again, as I as I said about I, I kind of feel like Joss Whedon wants you to misread it. I feel like he's tempting you into that. I think everything you ever allows you a different viewpoint if you want to have it. Everything you ever is him him singing straight faced here lies everything the world I wanted at my feet and then goes on to describe all of that and the final shot is a shot that is almost like has he been singing this whole song ironically and I think I think you could read that and go well it, it he's just pretending that this is what he wants but what he really wanted was Penny and she died inadvertently and he's suffering for that and he's putting up a facade to kind of to kind of like you know of obfuscate from that which i which i uh, you can read the final shot that way the way i read the final shot and i be, because of what comes before is that do you know what like this kind of villainy this kind of approach is hollow it's hollow because you can do all of these shitty things but if you want people to like you, it's not, you know, the right, the, the people who are going to like you are going to be similarly shitty. So great, you're best friends with Bad Horse now and Dead Bowie and Evil Thomas Jefferson and all those ones that you <laughs> see at the end. But, like, that's, that's hollow because you could have been friends with Penny. And so I don't see that final shot as being, oh my God, what have I done? I see that final shot as a self-pitying, like, oh oh this maybe. is what i've got yeah yeah this is this is what i've created for myself i wanted to be evil i am evil 
and the collateral damage is entirely my fault. Yeah, because he can feel he can feel bad about Penny dying, which of course he does. But it is entirely it is entirely down to him. It comes back to everything we were saying about toxic masculinity against people who you know and you know the fact that we talked about how relevant this is now. These incels are people who go on online message boards and spout this ideology and talk about it and talk about it, and some of them go out and do something. And this is a guy who's got a blog. <laughs> who's talking to people about his villainy on the internet and then going to the laundromat as if he's a normal guy. I'm sure the horrible, toxic people who go out and commit those atrocities in real life don't feel this euphoria at the end of it. I'm sure they feel hollow and empty. And I think that that's what, I think that's what you've got here as well at the end, at the end of everything you ever. But like I say, I almost, I almost feel like Joss Whedon is saying, I dare you to read this wrong. I dare you to, I want you to. And then I want you to realize what the story actually was. <laughs> two rewatches down the line. <laughs> I mean, it is I, the way Doctor Horrible works is that it plugs in like these familiar sort of archetypes into a a plot that it looks like a recognisable one, right? Mm. And so you carry with it all these expectations. And like, I knew Penny was going to die at the end because you know you could not escape that fact as soon as it aired. Mm. Um, you know, so enraged with the viewers. But you can you can completely understand how if you didn't know that's where it was going, you would be so blindsided by this ending that you wouldn't know what to make of it, and that it would only be on the like second or third watches that you'd really realise what was going on. Because because of the performances, because uh, and because of the way that, as we said, that uh, popular culture kind of frames these nice guy stories. Yeah. Previous, well, you're, you're previous looking, to this, you're looking here for the redemptive moment where someone realizes that they're wrong, or Penny realizes that they're both idiots, and actually, hmm. you don't get either of those things. And maybe Doctor Horrible does realize at the moment that Penny died. None of this is worth it. But he doesn't choose to walk away. He chooses to continue to embrace the villainy because that is the character that we've been introduced to from the very first song. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk about though, the guys, guys before we end the, um, the final sequence where we get, where he finally takes his seat at the evil league of evil with tie dye, snake bite, <laughs> professor normal, dead Bowie, uh, awkward now, fake Thomas Jefferson, fury Laker and bad horse, who, as we said earlier, is an actual horse. <laughs> and Doctor Horrible. That, we've seen we've seen the the pink pummeler. <laughs> the guy this... with the pink boxing gloves who's mates with moist. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if is Johnny Snow in there? Who the, you know the guy who thinks that he's the arch nemesis of um, <laughs> Doctor Horrible from the start. We should there's 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 loads of background little little recurring gags in here. I love that when they get to the party that the bad horse guys are are drinking their pints of beer <laughs> like they're still hop, popping up and down at the side of a frame. <laughs> they they're kind of like just just around the corner of a door frame. And I think just we did again like this is this is a good example of him like getting the most out of this budget. Just putting Doctor Horrible in that red in that red jacket and then putting the goggles down, suddenly he does look like a legit supervillain. You're like, oh mm. shit, yeah, you yeah. It's worked. It's brilliant. Um this is good, you guys. I think this is really good. Yeah, I I think given obviously the kind of the haste at which it was thrown together, the the budget considerations and that kind of thing, that it that it comes out being about something and being about not what you'd expect it to be about. 
I think is is really good. I'd say, I mean, it's it's sad that it's actually more relevant now. It, it doesn't reflect well, yeah. well on the world <laughs> it's more, say, that what it's about like, is more relevant thing. now beyond a small corner of the internet that it would have been relevant to in 2008. Um, but... That's, you know, the thing, I, I, that's the thing that impress, impresses me most about it is how prescient it was. Yeah, is but as I like say, not this, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, not in a good way, but clearly, like, Whedon was a guy who saw this stuff sort of yeah, rising and, in culture and went, oh, we should probably notice that. And, you know, obviously, Whedon is someone who has uh, faced criticism in recent times for, you know for his actions around or, or attitude to, to women in his life. And so he's someone who obviously is not entirely unproblematic in that sense, but he is also someone who has, I think, a very strong awareness. And this also goes back, obviously, to Buffy and to season six of Buffy. Um, he He has a grasp on how harmful men who see themselves as righteous can be mm-hmm. to women. And and you know him him having had affairs or whatever and and not necessarily treated people in his life brilliantly doesn't change that. Yeah, I w- I want to make the point that I think basically if you dig into people, no one has anything that like no one is entirely unproblematic because people are complex, and like mm. sometimes you make the wrong choice or do something bad. Like <laughs> I'm not saying he's immune from criticism. But I also don't think it invalidates his, like, the feminist message of his work. I also think, though, uh, and completely fairly, it has made people scrutinise his work more. Oh, definitely. Question. Definitely. I mean, obviously, as soon as that stuff comes out, it colours everything yeah. he's done and I, and in a I, new light. But also, you you know, you watch something like Buffy and the idea of, like, actually the girl who is you think is going to be the victim can defend herself... Like nothing he's done makes that any less true. Yeah, and and that and that. Yeah, I think I think there are elements of maybe of his work that are cast in a slightly more disingenuous light as a result of finding out a little bit more about his personal life. But yeah, the argument that is made by this and and by the companion piece of season six of Buffy um, that is not invalidated by it that at all that is an entirely valid point that he's making and 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 a point that i think he is entitled to make and it's a good point to draw to people's attention i mean not that this is the most mainstream or or widespread seen and heard thing you're ever going to find but um if this and as i say I, i think there is probably an unfortunate thing of there will be guys who completely unironically identify and sympathize with dr horrible in this and that's an unfortunate consequence of that kind of thing in much the same way as there are people who unironically identify and sympathize with rorschach um you're always <laughs> going to go get to, i was going to go to the pub landlord for that but rorschach works <laughs> yeah uh or yeah alf garnet or or heath ledger's joker or you know um yeah that that is going to happen but i think if this makes some people consider their behavior and that just purporting to be the nice guy to the person who you've stalked around the laundrette for several months actually maybe doesn't make you the nice guy. If that makes some people think about that, which it probably doesn't, I'm probably being idealistic about it, but um, I just, I, you know, I, I think anything that makes people and particularly men consider 
how how they behave towards other people even for a moment and even if they think that they're completely virtuous i think anything that makes you stop and think about that is a good thing Mm. (laughs) yeah i'm I'm probably going to get you in trouble by mentioning Zack snyder but it's like the kind of thing (laughs) i think about is you get people like ganging up on people who purport to be superman fans like ganging Mm. up on people like abusing them and you're just thinking like you know superman was real he would be stopping you guys (laughs) like just the idea that people can completely disengage with the message of a fictional character who they claim to idolize yeah it just it strikes me as something that you're always going to get regardless of how strong your message is yeah i like i say i think it would be it would have been better for culture in general if pre in 2008, there would have been more of these nice guys aren't necessarily the good guys narratives in pop culture because there was a lot of them when I was growing up and I think it was very easy at an impressionable age to buy into that narrative. Um, it's a bad narrative. <laughs> for, for all of that and for all of that kind of underlying narrative, it it has to be said, Doctor Horrible Sing-Along Blog is a really fun watching experience (laughs) it's 42 minutes it zips along there's like seven eight full songs in there other little musical bits as well it's it's pure comedy it's just that what what we've been talking about is the undercurrent the message of the whole thing and uh it's hard to ignore but also like as i said you can sing along to my eyes and just ignore the words and have an absolute hoot (laughs) (laughs) so guys do you have any comic book recommendations on this i'm aware that we should probably zip through this as fast as possible given how long we've been talking but do you have any comic book recommendations um (laughs) yeah uh, yeah so i alluded to this earlier but i was trying to think of things that obviously there's nothing that's a a precursor to this or or similar to this but some uh, or or rather similar in terms of being a musical but something that um does a similar thing in terms of its world building into uh, you know having to build a world out of existing superhero archetypes but playing them in a quite funny way um it's the story's not anything like it but it's a comic called hero squared i knew you were uh, gonna say published, hero squared. Yeah, I, I knew it when you said you knew what it was i, I knew that you knew what it was <laughs> uh published by boom studios written by keith giffen and jm dematis the team who wrote the classic justice league international stuff um but with a different artist uh from, from that the story is that basically um this superhero called captain valor finds himself thrown into an alternative universe where his alter ego never got his superpowers and and isn't a superhero and he's basically fry from Futurama like he's a he's a total layabout slob um and has a girlfriend called Steffi who is that universe's version of his arch nemesis so in in his universe his arch nemesis is a woman called Steffi who became a supervillain um but in this universe she's just an ordinary person and uh, his alter ego is called Milo um and it sort of ends up being a, a love quadrangle between the four characters, the, the the two versions of each of the two characters. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, thematically not a million miles away, actually, in terms of these two different types of character. You know, Milo is this kind of this layabout slob. Uh, Captain Valor is, is he, he's not a, a total douche in the way that um, that Captain Hammer is, but he's he's quite heroic and kind of lunk-headed kind of thing um and yeah it's a it's a it's a fun character piece i'm pretty sure you can get it on comiXology there were there were a few different miniseries it got a bit confusing as to um 
what wrapped up the plot where but i think in total there's about nine or ten issues of miniseries that that pull it all together and it's yeah it's it's good fun and not a million miles away from this at all james what have you got yeah i couldn't really think of anything that really fits off this because like obviously there are lots of books where they've you know created a superhero universe whole cloth out of you know archetypes and characters with the serial numbers filed off or whatever but that's not really what the appeal of dr horrible is um and obviously you can't do a musical in comics unless you're alan moore um spoilers for vendetta <laughs> um so where i would go after watching this is to the dr horrible comic that they made <laughs> um in 2009 i can't imagine what is in there because i've never read it but i think i'm gonna go and pick it up um and see i think they did a few i'm not sure whether it was a series i was reading about this earlier they did like a dr horrible pre like a origin story they did a moist one shot they did a captain hammer thing and then like tied them up i think they added one more and then like uh, collected them into a like a five comic graphic novel yeah i mean it it sounds like a bad idea to me especially off the off the basis of something that is narratively complete as this. Uh, yeah, but James, just just reading property, gonna get a comic. Well, quite. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I guess Zach Whedon's got to do something with his time. <laughs> it sounds like Zach Whedon was one of the most instrumental parts of this creatively outside of Joss. <laughs> from from what I can tell, I don't think I don't think he's just the leftover Whedon who was involved in this. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I I would go and check those out. I'm like I'm in intrigued to see what they're like and whether they illuminate any of what happened in this in any way. Yeah. Okay. So those are the recommendations. Um. So all that remains to be uh done is the pitch, which we'll do on the mini sode next week. Um. And it's a pretty obvious one, you guys. I want to know which established superhero or comic you would adapt into a musical so i want either a tv show or a movie where you're taking superheroes that we know or love that that pre-exist but putting them into a musical context you can write songs as well if you want i don't mind (laughs) 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 yes also very keen on that happening um our listeners maybe less so um but if you've enjoyed this show then please just subscribe on itunes stitcher spotify um or your podcast app of choice you can support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe um there's a there's a bonus episode going up on there for subscribers of two dollars or more that seb and james recorded when we should have been recording this episode last night but i was stuck on a train (laughs) um we also there was about 10 minutes of extra audio from our mini-sode that we recorded last week which just couldn't be fit into the main episode otherwise we wouldn't have got away with calling it a mini so <laughs> so we popped it up, we've popped it up on patreon instead so if anyone wants to hear that um it's it's it more infinity war speculation nonsense and more making fun of dc um because <laughs> we don't do that enough yeah uh you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com you can get in touch via facebook on twitter at cine underscore verse which increasingly you guys are doing and please do continue to because we love reading them and we love uh responding whenever we have anything witty to say or you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week goodbye goodbye
You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Men in Black. <laughs>